Ramble. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about Spot Pet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with Spot Pet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. I don't know. Hold on. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> you have one line. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> he said, I don't know. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> so this week's episode, I'm trying really hard not to make this three hours long. <laughs> it's going to be an intense one. And maybe three years ago, you heard me talk about it very briefly. And I want to mention, I never did a deep dive on this. I never got into the craziness that is this case. I think a lot of the times this case is overlooked. This case is kind of summarized in a way that's very simple, straight, straight to the point, because the crime itself is so insane. The crime itself is so insane that people don't really do a deep dive on this one. I mean, it's already, it's got so much shock value. There's so much like what the fork is happening and then the whole trial happens and it's just an absolute shit show. And this weekend, I picked up a book called I'm No Monster by Stephanie Marsh and Bojan Penchevsky. I think I'm saying his name right, but it was such a good book. And I got hooked on this because there is this new movie that just came out 2021 called The Girl in the Basement. And I got a lot of YouTube comments that were like, hey, you need to watch this movie. It's based off of like a true crime. Like you need to watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I haven't watched it. Maybe I will after I tell you this story and we can watch it together because I didn't want you to like, you know, have it all spoiled. Is the movie. Oh, it's a movie. movie yeah, it's not like a, just a documentary. No, it's like a real life lifetime dramatization. Uh, Honestly, I don't think we're going to like it. I usually don't like dramatizations of true crime because it just it feels odd. It feels a little strange, but I guess we'll give it a chance. I am just going to drop you into the middle of the story because April 19th, 2008 is the day that a 24 year long secret unravels and I feel like the world was never the same again and I never really say that about cases but this one it's just so unprecedented on so many levels 
of just the depravity of everything. It's just weird. So April 19th, 2008, man calls 911 in Austria, right? He lives in this small town in Austria, just maybe about 30 minutes outside of Vienna. And um, he says, help, help. My family member, she's seriously ill. Please come bring an ambulance. It's urgent. Like she's unconscious right now. Please, please, please. The ambulance arrive and they see a young woman by the name of Kirsten lying on a bed. I mean, she is unnaturally pale. She looks incredibly sick. She has a bloody lip. It looks like she has um, kept biting her lip. She's got many teeth that are missing. She's got clumps of her hair torn out of her head. It looks like maybe she was in a situation where she had pulled out her own hair for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Maybe it was the pain of whatever you know sickness that she has right now. So they immediately rush her into the hospital. This was a life-threatening kidney failure situation. She had to have emergency surgery. So she's in the hospital. Her grandpa shows up. He's like this older man. He's got on this nice little collared shirt, these trousers. He's got got his shirt tucked in is he the one who called yeah and there's explaining like what's go- what's going on we need to know all of the details we need to make a diagnosis does she have a history of kidney failure does she have kidney issues and the grandpa says well listen that's that's the problem um you can talk to the police i have been working with the police for the past 24 years and it's incredibly odd but my daughter elizabeth she ran away from our home 24 years ago and she joined this cult. And so for the past 24 years, randomly, she'll stop by the house and drop off one of her kids. We have three babies that have shown up on our doorstep that we have raised ourselves, you know, as these older grandparents, we've raised these kids because she just drops them off with a note that says, hey, sorry, had another kid. The cult doesn't want it. So I'm dropping her off with you, mom and dad. Like Harry Potter. Like straight up Harry Potter. And then he said that today... There was a young woman just laying unconscious, sick on his front doorstep. And there was a note from his daughter, Elizabeth, who is Kirsten's mother. And he shows the note to the medical staff. And it says, please help save her. She's very scared of strangers. She's never been to a hospital before. I asked my dad for help. He's the only person that she knows. And it also ended the note with Kirsten, please stay strong until we see each other again. We will come back to you soon. So the the grandpa never met her. Yeah. But the mom usually drop off a newborn baby. Yeah. And then just they never even see them. Just they'll open the the front door the next day and there's There's a baby. But this time. 19. Okay. So he's like, this is weird. I mean, she she ran away 24 years ago, drops off kids. Now this kid is sick. I don't really know what to do. He's like freaking out. So the medical staff, the police get involved. Now, the police were very intrigued by this because this can be a situation of criminal child neglect. I mean, they need to find this mom. They need to question the mom. Was she poisoned? Does she have epilepsy? How do you just leave your child to die on your parents' front doorstep? Like none of this makes sense. They start searching the social security database, school registries, everything, and and they cannot find any record of Kirsten being born. Like Kirsten does ha- doesn't have an identity. She never went to a public school or any school. She never she never went to a hospital. She doesn't have like a birth certificate. I mean, this is 2008. This is wild. It's almost like she doesn't have an identity. Mm-hmm. And the police are freaking out about that. The doctors themselves, they're freaking out because Kirsten, she is in a life or death situation and they have no idea what her diagnosis is. I mean, they're completely puzzled. They want to ask the mom to contact them because they're like we need to find out does she have epilepsy was she poisoned i mean she what they do know is she's got this insane severe vitamin d deficiency she was this deathly white pale color she's severely anemic i mean there's so many reasons why this could be happening and they need to know all of this information right away so the doctors go on tv 
Yeah. And they plead for Elizabeth to contact them. They say, we know that you care about her. We read the note. It says, you know, I can't wait for you to get better. See you soon. Blah, 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 blah. Please call us. We're not going to tell the police. We will treat this with discretion. We need to save your daughter's life. <laughs> Except the police might be watching too, but... <laughs> but like, don't tell them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The police then go into the grandpa's house. His name's Joseph, by the way. Mm-hmm. They go into the grandpa's house and they get the rest of the kids. They're like, all right, so you said that you had three babies show up. Yeah, we have that on record. We mm-hmm. need all of their DNA. We need Kirsten's DNA because if we can't find the mom, if we can't find Elizabeth, maybe we can find the dads, right? Maybe mm-hmm. we can figure out where they are and if they have medical conditions, if they know anything about this. Mm-hmm. And the whole family, they were kind of evasive about the DNA testing. And then one week later, Elizabeth came to the hospital. The missing mom of 24 years walked into the hospital with her father, Joseph. So she walks into the hospital and she says, hey, I'm out of the cult right now. <laughs> I need to see my daughter. And the police and the hospital staff, they knew that whatever cult she had joined, life had not been good to her. She looked severely malnourished. She looked sick herself. I mean, what the fork is going on? So the doctors, they're like, all right, well, you can see your daughter. They let her sit with Kirsten. They try to ask her about her medical history. She's very evasive. She doesn't want to talk to them for some reason. And they're like, all right, then if you don't want to talk to me, I'll call the police. The doctors call the police. The police show up and why, they start. Why are they calling police? Because this is child neglect. I mean, uh. there there's probably some laws that were broken here. There's no way that this 19-year-old just shows up without any identity. Now she's about to die. Like there's something that was broke, like a law that so, was broken. So you feel like the doctors and the police feels like are treating her like a criminal a criminal for sure because okay. i mean whether They're it's investigating her or the what cult, happened to the daughter yeah did the okay. cult poison her was this like a jonestown situation where you're like drink this kool-aid let's just mm. try it you know we need to know all of that okay. so finally the police get to her and they sit down with her and they start questioning and she has the story of listen i was in a cult it's, it's a lot of religious stuff going on but i'm i'm here to make sure that my daughter's okay well what's the cult's name She's like, I'm not allowed to talk about it. You know, it's like a very secretive cult. So they keep questioning her for the next couple of hours. And then finally, there was like a tipping point because the police say, listen, like we're going to take Kirsten away from you. Like we're not when she's OK, if she does recover, we're not giving her back to you. You do know that, right? Because you have been breaking some laws and we need to know what the fork's going on. So finally, around midnight that day, she told them, I will tell you everything that's happened to me. If you promise, if the police promises to protect me, protect my mother, protect my children, and if I never have to see my father again. Joseph? Joseph, the grandpa who called 911. And they said, what? Oh, shit. I never joined a cult. I never abandoned my children. I have been held captive for 24 years. I've been incarcerated for 24 years. They said, well, that does make sense. Like, you have never been to prison in our records. What are you talking about? No, no, no. I have been held in an underground dungeon for 24 years, and this is my first time outside. And they're just sitting there like, what? Oh, my God. So let's start from the beginning. Joseph Joseph Fritzl. I got to get into his background, which I know some people aren't going to like this because why the fork do we care about his background? And I want to make sure that none of his childhood make it seem like, oh, this is sympathetic. Like we need a. this is why he is the way he is. No, I just think that his background is a little bit fascinating. Okay, now his grandma's name is Anna Fritzl and the story gets real wild in the Fritzl family. So Anna Fritzl, she's always been young and pretty. She was um, born into this very, very nice, well off family. And all of a sudden, one day, the owner 
owner of a local mill offered her his hand in marriage. He was like, you want to marry me, Anna Fritzel? And because this was back in the day, she was like, sure, why not? You come from a good family. You've got a cottage. You've got this nice piece of land. You employ several servants inside of your house. Like, this is exciting. Anna Fritzel's parents even got excited. So they get married. Anna moves into the cottage and they started having marriage issues immediately. This is Joseph's grandma, right? Anna cannot bear children. That's like the whole thing. They keep trying to get pregnant. He wants little offspring. He wants heir to his cottage and she won't get pregnant and he starts violently beating her because of it and he starts also raping a bunch of his servants because he's like you know what if you can't bring me an heir i will go find myself a child now one of the servants gets pregnant and he believes that this is proof that this is all anna's problem it's not that something is wrong with his wee wee or his sperm it's anna's problem i hate people so the child gets born by the servant and they fire the servant. They just like pay her off and are like, bye, don't ever act like this is your baby ever again. And he forces Anna Fritzel to raise the kid as if it's her own. So then afterwards, years after, he has two more maids give birth to two more children. So now we have a total of three different children with three different women all living in the same house with Anna pretending to the public that they are all her children. Now you would think that, okay, fine. This is a really weird setup, but maybe they're making it work. Maybe... Maybe Anna loves the kids. Maybe everyone's getting along. To the outside, they're like this perfect, conservative, rural, rich family. They're religious. But behind closed doors, the dude, he was evil. He loved taunting his wife. He would constantly sit there with his children and Anna, and he would say, well, you know you're a bastard, and you know your mom's infertile, and she's not even your mom. Like, he would tell them straight up. Okay. Like I raped your mom and your mom is probably out there just like working the streets now. And this ain't even your mom. You're just a bastard kid. And then to Anna, he'd be like, look, how does it feel raising bastards when you can't even have your own kid? Like he was evil. He was truly, truly, truly evil. Now, Maria, she was one of the daughters that was conceived by one of the maids. And eventually she grows up. She's like, I can't do this anymore. Like I freaking hate dad or quote unquote dad. I want to move out. She actually moves out with her mom, Anna. And they completely walk out together. Now, Maria's main thing in life is she wants to get pregnant. She wants to raise her own children. I think it was like this weird dynamic in the house of, well, you're not even the children of this woman. I don't know. Something about it. She just wants to grow up and she just wants to get pregnant. That's it. So she meets a poor man by the name of Joseph and she becomes pregnant. Some say it was love. Some say it was. Yeah. So she names the son after him. So some say it was love. Not really. Most say that it was her trying to prove like her own womanhood to herself. So Joseph's dad's last name is actually Nenning, but Joseph takes on his mom's last name. So he's Mm -hmm. Joseph Fritzl, right? Mm -hmm. And he grows up in the Nazi area of Austria. So I'm talking in the middle of a war. Everything is strictness. Everything's about discipline. And he claims that he subconsciously picked up on all of this. People were dead ass at this point, joining the army to not starve to death. They weren't even joining it because they cared. They weren't even like, oh, yeah, I love this country or like, oh, yeah, this is the side that I like. They were just like, they're going to feed me. So I'm just going to join the army. Now, Maria, she pretty much became a single mom because of the war. And she's raising Joseph and she would beat up Joseph nonstop. She would punch him until his face was completely bloody. She would keep telling him, I only got pregnant to prove a point. Like, I don't even want you. I only got pregnant to prove to people that I can get pregnant. And a boy 
I had to get pregnant with a boy. Not only that, you're the very image of your useless father. She would say these really nasty things to him. She also inflicted a lot of these strange punishments. She would make him stand on a um like a very angled piece of wood, like a wooden block, but she would have him kneel straight on the angle part, like the corner, the pointy corner. Oh yeah yeah yeah. What do you mean yeah yeah yeah? I mean it's kind of like the. The Chinese punishment, you knee on the, the scrubbing board. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she would also tie him to his bed so he couldn't bother her. And that's where the relationship just got weird. People said that their relationship was more of a toxic couple than a toxic family. She would like slap him and beat him and punch him. And then she would suddenly cry on the ground and be like, promise, Joseph, you'll never leave me. Promise I'm the only one in your life. So it was very, very odd. Mm -hmm. She just seemed really, really jealous. Now, Joseph himself claims that he was the man in the house. He loved everything. He loved everything about his mom. Did he? I fantasize about my mother? Probably. But I was strong and I managed to suppress my urges. That's what Joseph said. He fantasized? Yeah, when he was young about his own mother. I'm telling you, they had a weird relationship. Now, during all of this, the backdrop of their weird toxic couple, possibly incestuous relationship, during a period of six months, there were 12,000 bombs dropped on the town that they were living in. 12,000 bombs dropped in six months sirens would be blaring nonstop. so the entire town had these underground bum- bunkers that people would just the entire t- population would just go underground for days you would not even see one single soul the sirens would be blazing everyone's living underground but oddly maria joseph's mom didn't like it she just like wanted to die in her house so she would say fuck the underground bunkers if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die in my kitchen she would sit in the kitchen listen to the sirens for days and did not care about her son's safety at all so the neighbors would be like hey young kid joseph why don't you come with us to go to the underground bunkers because your mom is bonkers and Mm -hmm. i don't know what her deal is but you shouldn't have to die because she's an idiot he would go underground with all of these neighbors and he felt strange down there he felt rejected by his mom but at the same time he had friends and he felt safe in the bunker now Around this time, Maria was taken into one of the worst Nazis extermination camps. Um, This one was probably one of the worst. I think there was a life expectancy of, I think it was like six weeks or something of that sort. I mean, incredibly low. So he was told that she died there when he was 10 years old. He's crying. He's like, oh my God, this is insane. The war is still going on. People are still starving. I've got no parents. I mean, my dad's in an extermination camp. So is my mom. And now she's dead with a fork. Now, eventually the war ends. He was like being taken care of by foster care, his neighbors. And his mom comes home. And she's like, I survived. And he's like, I thought you were dead. But this time she came back a completely different person. I mean, she'd probably been raped, tortured, starved. People described her as a small, unsmiling, friendless woman who never opened up or talked about herself. Like she just always wore the same dark black clothing. Doesn't matter if it's like 90 degrees outside. She will wear thick black, just heavy cl- coats and long sleeves and long dresses. Like she just did not care. She hated everything. The only thing thing when she got back she wasn't obsessed with joseph she wasn't obsessed with anything she had this little garden in the back of her house and she stayed out there for hours if anyone if joseph if her friends if anyone ever tried to come and talk to her in that garden she would fly into a violent rage what is she doing just sitting there just sitting there staring into space 
So he starts going to school finally. The war is over. People are going back to school. And he was in a class with people who are two years younger than him. So now he's two years older than everyone. And he just felt like he was the baddest bitch on the block. He was like, are you kidding me? I've got a, I've got a superiority complex. Why are y'all so short? Why are y'all so little? I'm so tall now. <laughs> and he starts doing really good in his academics. He's super intelligent. His mom had taught him discipline at a really young age. So he, he applied that to studying. He starts getting really, really good grades. And around this time, their relationship had another massive shift so maria hated the fact that he was doing well in school she actually tried to sabotage his academics she didn't like that she was like you're gonna get smart you're gonna get a job and then you're gonna leave me and i don't want that i don't want anyone to leave me ever again and he's like you're kind of crazy and he was getting to that age where he's like well i'm kind of embarrassed about you like why are you looking like that like can you please change i mean my friends think you look weird everyone in the community thinks you're just kind of like this creepo mom do better so one day she hit him because for whatever reason, she like threw a fist up and hit him in the face and he hit his mom back. And that day, the dynamic completely changed. She then became terrified of him and he was running the house. How old was he? Do you know? Like 16. Wow. Super young. Teenage years. He starts spending a great deal of time snooping. That's his favorite activity. Other than school, he loves to snoop. He likes looking through his neighbor's windows at night. He likes to learn people's routines, particularly when someone gets home to undress for bed, what time their weekly bath is, so he could watch them. And he was just overall a freaking weirdo. He was like a sexual freak. He's a he's a he's into voyeurism. His first sexual experience was at 16 years old. He sees a woman in the park. He's like, wow, she's attractive. So he starts following her and following her, and then finally. He jumps out right in front of her, pulls down his pants, and exposes his wee-wee straight in front of her. And she screams, and she's like, what the fork? So this can be categorized, obviously, as exhibitionism. Now, maybe it's not necessarily the scariest sex crime, right? Because you have some genitals that you look at, but it's not necessarily the most physically invasive or the most maybe mentally traumatizing. But psychology today says that the risk factors for the development of exhibitionistic disorder in males include antisocial personality disorder, alcohol abuse, and interest in pedophilia. Hmm. Yeah, because so like I don't, I I don't know what our normal people get, like anybody get out of this, right? Exactly. Some people think that um, these people, they think that your shocked scream is your sexual interest. They think it's kind of like flirting. They think it's a variation of flirting. Yeah, that's alarming. And you're having this flirtatious, coy, you know, response to their genitals when in reality you're just screaming your lungs out because what the fork? I'm just walking through the park, minding my own business, and the audacity of this penis to just show up out of nowhere what the fork so he gets a little warning from the police that's it they were just like hey don't do that again now he grows up he gets married to a woman by the name of rosemary he's like 19 at the time she's 17 they meet at a party and it was just a weird weird relationship he had never been on a date she had never really been on a date and they were like let's do it together Rosemary is described to be an incredibly shy person. That's how everyone describes her. Silent and quiet are her sister's exact words to describe her. She never stood out from the crowd. She never really wanted to be different like a lot of other teenagers. She just did what she was told and she was quiet. I mean, she followed the rules, right? Mm -hmm. So they start going to these coffee shops and a week later, she introduced Rosemary, introduced Joseph to her parents. She was like, this is my first boyfriend and I think we're going to get married. And within like a year, they got married. Like less than a year. 
So they were moving fast. Now, Rosemary's family, they, initially, they were really impressed. They were like, he's young, he's friendly, he's nice. I mean, he seems super sweet. He's doing well academically. He's gonna, he wants to be an engineer when he grows up. That's insane. This is the perfect catch. So at one point, Joseph and Rosemary even live with Rosemary's family. And he starts working at this local factory. And eventually, all of their perceptions of Joseph completely change. They said that he went from being this nice, caring person to just putting Rosemary down nonstop. She would be eating something and he would say, oh my God, you're getting fat. Why do you want to eat that? Stop eating. You're already too fat. His one thing, he hated, quote unquote, fat woman. He hated them. Like he didn't even think that they deserved to walk around. If there was a fat person walking around, he would scoff. He would huff and he would puff. Like just they didn't even talk to him. No one's trying to. And it's weird because he would be categorized as obese himself. Shut up. So he's not like this skinny legend. I mean, not that that excuses his behavior, but he just was a vile human. So he really, really hated fat women. And in front of her family, he would just constantly like, stop eating. You're so fat. You're so fat. So he tells her you're fat. In the nighttime, he would just be out working super late. I mean, is he a hard worker? Is he doing long hours at the factory? No. Later, they find out that he's riding around in his bike, looking through people's windows. He starts doing the thing that he did when he was 16. He starts going to the parks, finding cute women, jumping out in front of them, and just exposing his genitals to them. The police find out about it, and they give him, yet again, another warning. They say, hey, stop. Stop pulling out your wee-wee. Don't do that anymore. Then there was the attempted rape of Maria, not his mom, another woman named Maria. So one day he's riding his bike home and he sees this really nice woman who works at the factory and she's really, really pretty. So he starts biking after her, follows her home. And as she's putting her house key into the keyhole to enter her house, suddenly she feels this arm grab her. And he's like trying to throw her down onto the ground and she starts fighting back. She's screaming bloody murder. She's trying to punch him and he's just trying to get her on the ground into her apartment so that he can rape her. I mean, it's very, very clear what's going on. And after enough screaming, he finally got frustrated and he started rushing up, like trying to like drag his pants back on because during the scuffle, he's like pulling down his pants and trying to put her on the ground. And he tells her one day I'll get you. And he runs away on his bike. So she calls the police and they find him and they say, hey, don't do that again. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> so his safe first, but I don't know for sure. A couple months later was his first rape, his first like full on rape of a nurse. So he starts stalking this young woman that he finds to be pretty. He finds out that she works as a nurse where she lives found out that she's married to a railway worker. They have this young child. She lives in a ground floor apartment. Her bedroom window looks out onto the street and he starts watching to learn her entire routine. After work, she comes home, feeds her kids. She goes to bed, turns off the lamp in the bedside table and falls asleep. And every single night, even if her husband was working late or was working the night shift, she would sleep with the window open because this isn't really a crime centric area. This is not a place where people crawl in through the window. There, there was no, you know, the night stalker. There was no golden state killer so she had her windows open and one day he waits until the light goes off waits another hour creeps into the bedroom window stands there in the dark and just watches her sleep for a good minute 
Finally, he decides, you know what? I'm going to go into the kitchen. He goes into the kitchen, grabs a carving knife, walks back into the bedroom. She's still asleep during all of this. And her baby is in the same room, sleeping in like a little crib, right? He removes his shoes, his trousers, his underwear. He's completely naked from the waist down, but he kept his socks on and like his um, collared shirt on, like a shirt and tie that he would wear to work, but completely naked otherwise. And he wakes her up, puts the knife to her face and says, if you don't do what I say, I'll kill you. And he raped her. Now, after the rape, he calmly takes his time putting back on his clothes and he kind of lingered for a while. Then he jumped back out the window and biked his way home. And immediately the nurse calls the police. He's arrested. He confesses and he appears in court and he says, I plead guilty. I did it. Oops, my bad. He was given an 18 month sentence and he would only serve 12 months. He would only serve one year for the brutal rape at knife point of a young nurse. Just one year. I know that you can't see my face, but for the couple of people that do see my face on YouTube, I gotten a lot of questions about, wow, Stephanie, do you have your hair extensions back in? Have you been taking secret trips to the salon? No, no, I have not been doing that. I've just been taking really good care of my hair. Friends do not let other friends live with anything less than amazing hair. So I'm going to give you guys all of my secrets. Try Function of Beauty. It's the world leader in customizable beauty that offers precise formulations for your hair specific needs. So here's how you get started. First, they have you take a quick but very thorough quiz to tell them a little bit about your hair type, your hair goals. Do you want to lengthen it? Do you want to volumize it? You know, it's the summertime. Do you want some protection on your hair, split and control? And because your hair changes with the season, you can change your hair goals with every single shipment. This is my favorite part. So during the winters, I'm all about moisture, moisture, moisture. During the summers, I'm about lengthen, volume, all of that. Next, you choose your color and your fragrance, or you can go completely fragrance and dye free. Side note, they just launched the mango flavor the mango scent not the flavor the mango scent rotten, rotten mango. mango come on and then the function of beauty team will determine the perfect blend of ingredients and bottle up your formula and deliver it straight to your door every ingredient function of beauty uses is vegan cruelty free and they never use any sulfates or parabens you can also go completely silicone free if you'd like and they have over 50,000 real five-star reviews function of beauty offers completely personalized formulas for body and skincare as well so you can customize your entire beauty routine from head to your toes. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash rotten to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. So go to functionofbeauty.com slash rotten to let them know that we sent you and get 20% off your order. That's functionofbeauty.com slash rotten for the people in the back. Now, it's crazy because the police knew that this was a string of sexual offenses. This was a string of him stalking women, trying to rape women, exposing himself in public. But they said, ah, it's your first official, you know, crime and you're a family man. You've got kids. You've got this nice job at the factory. We don't want to ruin your life. We just want to give you a little slap on the wrist. So hopefully you won't rape people anymore. So he serves 12 months. Now you're thinking, OK, Rosemary, you got to do something. This is your husband. He just raped a woman. I mean, how as a woman can you stand by your husband? after all of that well she visits him in prison and she never once mentioned the rape she never asked about it she never asked why did you do it she never said are you gonna do it again anything of that sort she didn't want to and i quote embarrass her husband so she just kind of forgave him. Now, her family says that she was painfully in love with him. Like, this was the only man for her, and she was madly in love with him. She forgave him all the time. I mean, 
she seems like a very weak person. I don't know if that's an excuse, but that's kind of the one that her sisters give her is that she's incredibly weak and she just lets him dominate her. Now, he gets out after a year and it's straight up back to business with very little repercussions. I mean, he's still getting business opportunities, amazing jobs, and he actually becomes a relatively successful person. He owns multiple properties. He owns a vacation home. He owns like this cute little bread and bed and breakfast. I always say bread and breakfast. I don't know why. A like little bed and breakfast spot. He's got all of these children. So he's going to end up having seven kids with Rosemary seven children and joseph was the leader of the house his wife his children they're all super submissive to him he makes the rules he's the dominant person he has five girls two boys and elizabeth she's going to be very pivotal in this story she is the fourth child and she was never his favorite child if anything she was probably his least favorite child And it was just a super strict family situation. Rosemary did everything. So she was constantly cooking, cleaning, um, living in fear of him, really. He was never nice to her, never bought her anything, never really did anything for her, just just always beat her up. And the kids, they lived in constant fear. He would do these things where he would go into their rooms when they were at school and make detailed inspections of the room and just like write down some weird shit. He would steal things from their room and put them into like file folders inside of his office for future evidence. He would make them sit down and write down all of the names of all their classmates and where they sat in class. So who sits on your right? Okay, who sits directly in front of you? What about behind you? What is he doing with that information? Just he wants to know everything. He wants none of his seven kids or his wife to have any sort of privacy, any sort of private life. He needs to know everything. Jeez. His favorite expressions were, if you don't do what I say, it will only get worse. That's what he would constantly tell his kids. They always felt watched. Um, it's, they said it was really weird. He's always out on these business trips, but he would also always know everything, like things that didn't even happen in the house. He would somehow know them. Uh, he was overbearing. It was just a lot. They were never allowed to have friends or visitors. I mean, it was miserable. The result of this is that the kids, all seven of them, they only had one dream. It wasn't the dream to become successful and have kids of their own or you know, take care of their parents when they get old, but they said, I'm going to turn 18 and I'm going to move the fork out. That's my only goal in life. I don't care if I don't have a job. I'm going to make it work. I will be a waitress all day, every day. If that means I never have to live here again. So slowly, isn't, that, yeah. isn't that a common goal for yes. overbearing parents? Yeah. Right? It's like the saddest thing because I mean, other than Joseph, most overbearing parents, you're doing it out of love and you're just like, oh man, your oh, kids are going to so hate sad. you. Yeah. And they're going to end up never wanting to talk to you. So slowly, one by one, all of their kids start moving out. The oldest three had moved out immediately when they became 18 years old or just shy of 18, like 17. They were like, bye now. I'm leaving forever. And finally, Elizabeth was the eldest in the house. Now, I'm going to give you some details about their home life that get even weirder. Joseph had a lot of strange things going on. Joseph had a very, very strange like sex life, but never with his wife. He didn't really like having sex with his wife. He would constantly go to brothels he would go on vacations without his wife and he would go to brothels on these foreign countries and joseph also kept his mom in the family home maria remember her the one that always dresses in black and she would just lurk around the house i mean sometimes he would be really upset with her that he wouldn't talk to her for years he would only communicate with his mother through his wife he'd be like rosemary tell my mom dinner's ready and she would just like 
sneak upstairs and be like, hello, dinner's ready. I mean, she was very like weak, right? If he was super pissed, he would turn the attic room into her little prison. He boarded up the windows so there was no daylight coming in and he would just shove his mom up there. And his mom was just forced to stay in there for years. She never talked because the woman lost all of her teeth and he never got like dentures or anything. So she barely ever spoke. It's almost like she didn't even exist. I mean, she definitely wasn't even close to the kids. Like, it wasn't like a grandma, I love you situation. It was just odd. She was just like this presence that was, I mean, quite depressing. I don't like to say that, but quite depressing around the house. And she would just kind of float around. Now, Elizabeth, let me tell you a bit about her childhood. Now, when she went to school, some of her friends said that she seemed a lot more comfortable at school than at home. When it was actually time that the school day was ending and it's time for everyone to go back home, she she would get quiet and kind of anxious. And, oh, man, I don't really want to go home. She was incredibly shy. Some people said... She almost seemed afraid. Like it wasn't shy as an, oh, I'm just an introvert. I don't really like people. But almost afraid of people. She wasn't like the other kids. Not like in the, like a pick me girl way. But she really wasn't like the other kids. She never visited kids after school. She never hung out with people. She never went out on the weekends. She didn't come to like the local carnivals that were coming through town. Never invited kids to her house. She was considered a very serious girl. So not a lot of people wanted to be her friend. I mean, they were like, whoa, what's so serious? Like, Take it easy. We're just all young kids. What's going on? Now, she did have two friends, two twin sisters, and they didn't live far away. So they had this routine where every single day they would walk to and from school together. Now, the twins' parents were also physically abusive. So they never spoke about it, but they would kind of, you know, the three girls knew what was going on at home. They never said it outright, but they all bonded over it. And they always talked about, we're going to freaking get out of this town when we turn 18. There is nothing stopping us. I cannot wait till we turn 18. Now, one of the twins, she was like, yeah, when I turn 18, I'm going to start training as a nurse. I'm going to marry a handsome doctor and I'm going to get the fork out of town. The other twin was like, oh, I'm going to train as a chef and I'm going to go to Vienna and I'm going to work at like Michelin star restaurants. You heard, you know, beats. Now, Elizabeth, they're like, what do you want to do, Elizabeth? And she says, I don't know. I guess I would do anything just to get out. So Elizabeth had incredibly modest dreams. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that she was beaten often. And Rosemary, she would tell her friends, I don't know what it is about my husband. I don't know what it is about Elizabeth's dad, but he just doesn't like her. He just always beats her. I don't know what she did wrong. Just every little thing that she does pisses him off and he beats her. Some people would report that there was a coldness between Elizabeth and Rosemary, the mom and the daughter. That there was just some weird vibes. I don't know if this has anything to do with hindsight later, but I'm Mm -hmm. just going to put that out there. Okay, why the fork does he not like Elizabeth? None of this makes sense. Well, it's claimed that if you get to know Elizabeth, she's actually pretty assertive. Like she knows what she wants in life. She tries to get it. Um, She doesn't have like these big ambitious dreams, but she knows from right and wrong and she'll stand up for it when she has to. Mm -hmm. And he saw himself in her. Joseph said he saw himself in Elizabeth and he hated it but he also really liked it and it's really really odd so when Elizabeth is 11 years old this is where the abuse gets even crazier so when Elizabeth turns 11 he starts doing really creepy things he starts spying on his daughter no longer is he spying on his neighbors but he's spying on his own daughter and he does things that he calls a practical joke he would leave these porn magazines underneath her pillow as a surprise for her to discover in the middle of the night she would be scared she would be defenseless she would be like oh my god I know my dad left this under my pillow like what does this mean this is really creepy I don't like this and she's already scared of her dad and then he would keep hiding more and more porn magazines and he kept telling himself not only is it a joke but it's an initiation Elizabeth's initiation into the world of sex by a real man me her dad 
very creepy. Now, when Elizabeth turns 14, there's more abuse. He starts touching her. He starts physically abusing her. He starts molesting her and he starts masturbating in front of her. So typically this would happen when they are alone in the car or if Rosemary was busy in the kitchen, he would take her into a room alone and he would constantly touch her and masturbate. And then he would tell her that the police are all idiots and that nobody would take her word against his. So there you go. Don't don't dare try to tell anyone. He would also claim that I can always kill you if you don't do as I say. He's the type of parent that would say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out if I want to, which legally doesn't make any sense. So if you're a parent who has ever said that, that's not how it works in the court of law. OK, that's not how any of this works. Now, his spying and peeping started to get more intense. He actually kept special folders in his office to keep any letters that were sent to and from her. Anything in the room that he saw that he liked, he would take it out of Elizabeth's room and put it into these folders. It seemed like his entire goal was to get to know everything about her in her private life. She wrote a letter to one of the brothers that had moved out, one of her older brothers, about the abuse. So she writes him like, this is what's going on inside the house and I don't know what to do. Now, she probably was hoping that he was going to help her move out. Maybe he'd be like, you can come live with me. I've got a spare room. Maybe any of that. Maybe he can find her a job. He wrote a 10 page response saying like, I do not agree with this. This is absolutely disgusting. I can't believe he did this to you. Like, how can I help you? He wrote all of that. He sent that letter to the family home and Elizabeth would never see it. The police would later discover it because Joseph took it into his office and filed it away. So she secretly sent it to the brother. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the dad read the letter back from the brother and never showed it to her. I think maybe if she knew that some people were believing her, if some people were supporting her, maybe she would have more of the courage to like tell the police. Because, I mean, you're talking about a lifetime of abuse. Mm-hmm. She's probably so terrified of her dad. Even sending a letter to even her own sibling must have been such a such mm-hmm. a big, brave act. So that's going on with Elizabeth. Joseph, meanwhile, is financially and career-wise doing freaking well. I mean, he's killing it. He's like an engineer working for all these nice firms. He's getting poached by other firms. They're like, we want you. You're so good at this. And he really loved to DIY shit. He's super meticulous. He's very detail-oriented, great in business. And he's the type of man... Eh, This is what they say. If he gives you his word, you can count on it. So people really liked him. Employers really liked him. And he applied for a permit. So he goes to the little court and he's like, listen, I want a permit because I kind of want to make money from home. I've been working too many hours. You know, I want to make my money work for me. So he gets this permit to build an extension outside in the backyard of his house. Mm -hmm. So the whole extension, he was going to house a bunch of tenants upstairs. Downstairs, he was going to have a seven-room cellar where he was going to have his work quarters, kind of like underground, right? He's going to have his tool shop, his workshop, his own little private office, maybe, maybe like a man cave, all of that jazz. Now, the city, they grant him the permits. They said, yeah, you're a nice, respectable businessman, and this checks off. You just want some tenants, and you want a man cave. Makes a lot of sense to us. And the entire cellar, the entire extension, it was mainly him building it from the ground up. Like he was that meticulous. He was incredibly into remodeling. And in reality, he was trying to build a bunker to hold his own daughter captive. So the cellar construction, there would be seven rooms underground in total. Each room had a specific person. One of the rooms were for tools, a room for which Joseph would have a workshop, another room to install a furnace to heat the entire place. So there was going to be like power. There was going to be heat. There was going to be running water. It wasn't just like this bunker. Now that still leaves four rooms. 
mm-hmm. what are you doing with the four rooms? The neighbors said it was a little strange, okay? Everyone in this neighborhood, they had cute little gardens. They had cute landscaping, like a bush here, a bush there. But Joseph had like a fucking forest around the perimeter of his house. Like he liked to plant dense ass privacy trees. And what are the neighbors going to do? They can't say, hey, excuse me, I would like to look into your backyard. Please cut down the trees. There was no, he wasn't obstructing any light. There was none of that. He just, they just thought he was a little bit strange. He kept to himself. They would have these garden parties and he would get invited and he never came. He spends years building this cellar. And officially, when Elizabeth turns 16 years old, her and her friend run away to Vienna. They're like, bye, we're not doing this anymore. They get onto a train to Vienna and they slept on the benches of that station the first night. They had no plan. They had no jobs. They had nothing. They literally had nothing. They're in Vienna, this huge city, the capital of Austria. And they find a friend that would finally house them. So they start staying with that friend for a couple of days. And five days later, Joseph calls up the police and says, listen, I'm really worried about my 16 year old daughter she ran away i think she's in vienna and her whole life she's been living in this small town in the suburbs in the in the outskirts of these big cities she's sheltered you know she's innocent you know and i just need you guys to find her so the police are like we're right on it and they agreed vienna's got predators they've got they've got a lot of sex work and pimps over there no 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 we need to we need to get this young girl home so they start airing her photos all over the local news all over vienna the vienna police are trying to find them finally they were found at their friend's place in Vienna and the police were really proud of themselves for this one they were patting themselves on the back they were like can you believe we found these missing girls so quickly so when she gets back she says bye to her friend and that's the last time she would see any of her friends so for the next two years she's living inside the house he did not sexually abuse her during this time for the next two years and I'll get into why And she's just waiting to leave. The minute that she turns 18, she already had plans to go live with one of her older sisters. The older sisters okayed it. They said, yeah, you're going to come live with me. She had this job as a waitress. She was, you know, saving up all of this money. She's packing up all of her things. And two years just kind of goes by. And then finally, she tells her dad, hey, I'm going to go live with my older sister. And I'm moving out in two days. And he explodes. This was probably one of the worst fights that they've ever had. He's just red in the face, screaming at her like, you're never going to get away with this. And she's like, "What? that doesn't even make sense in this situation. I'm not getting away with anything. I'm literally going to go live with my sister, your other daughter, and I'm going to be 18. So bye. And then sure enough, two days later, Elizabeth had disappeared. August 1984, Elizabeth was gone, and Joseph seemed heartbroken. He was very forthcoming to his friends and business partners, which you might not think that he would be because it's kind of embarrassing. Like, your daughter ran away. Your daughter disappeared, doesn't want you in your life. What did you do as a parent that made this happen? But he sat there, and he was crying, and he said, she joined this cult. I mean, she's completely off the rails. She's addicted to drugs. The cult is giving her more drugs, and God, I I don't know what to do with this kid. And then the letters started coming. They started receiving letters rosemary the mom she would get a letter in the mail and she'd read it and it'd be elizabeth talking about hey i'm fine in the cult like don't come looking for me like i don't want to be a part of this family i'm a part of this cult now the cult is my family and she's like wow this is this is crazy so they start crying together as a couple and they're like wow our daughter left us our daughter no longer wants to be our daughter she's she's never coming back home Joseph reports the disappearance to the police. Interpol even gets involved. I mean, she's 18 at the time. And the police felt really bad for Joseph. So they start sitting down with him and they say, you're a nice family man. You're a businessman. You have no criminal record at this point because Mm -hmm. in Austria, a rape conviction only lasts on your record for 10 years. So they look into his record. 
no criminal record, just uh-huh. a law-abiding family dad. And they say, can we just ask you some questions about your daughter? And he's like, yeah, what, what do you need to know? Well, does, has Elizabeth been in trouble recently? Oh, God, I'm so embarrassed. So Joseph gets embarrassed and he says, oh, man, I don't like to air our family's dirty laundry, but she has been drinking and smoking and she, she, sometimes she'll come home really late, like five in the morning. And I would say, well, what were you doing out so late? And she wouldn't respond. I think she's involved with the wrong crowd. She keeps talking about some religious stuff. I don't know, some alternative religion. I think maybe a cult. I think she joined a cult. And it's it's just been really hard for us to keep track of her. We've got seven kids. I have this business. And she just has no respect for authority. She has no respect about our rules. I mean, I don't know what to do. So the officer, he's silently taking these notes. And he doesn't say it. But he believes at that point, Elizabeth is just an unreliable runaway. And she's going to turn up eventually. Now a year passes. She doesn't turn up. Now, when she turns 19, the police officially close her case because even if they find her, they cannot legally bring her back home. But the truth is, she never left home. So here's what actually happened. August 29th, 1984, Elizabeth was the only one home with Joseph. So Joseph goes up to her room and is like, hey, can you help me with something? I need need to lift all of these bags of cement. I need to bring them into the garage. Nobody else is home. You're the only one. And I can't lift it by myself. I'm getting old. So she's like, all right, whatever, fine. So she stops her packing because she's literally about to go move in with her sister. She stops packing, goes with her dad to help him. And as they're moving the cement, he says, oh, shit, I forgot. I wanted to talk to you about something, Elizabeth. Do you mind meeting me in the cellar? I want to do it in private so Mm -hmm. he unlocks the cellar door leads her down the stairs there's another door that he has to unlock and she has never been down these stairs she has never even known that there's stairs behind this door the family was never allowed what the the mom has never been down there the siblings have never been down there and nobody was really interested nobody wanted to spend any extra time with the dad they hated joseph so why would they Mm. be like hey let us into your man cave they were like we don't even want you in our regular house but now we're not gonna go underground with you you crazy so he unlocks the door they go down the stairs unlocks another door and a couple doors later and now she's sitting in like this makeshift office so she's sitting on a chair and he says that he needs to go grab some something from the garage and she's thinking to herself geez louise this is going to be another lecture like two days ago we just had that big fight about me moving out i mean that was one of the worst fights ever and now he's going to be like oh i can't believe you're doing this blah 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 blah. okay it's okay i'm just going to sit here i'm going to be remorseful i'm going to say sorry and i'm going to go back upstairs and i'm going to get back to packing and she's thinking about all of this when he comes up behind her and places a damp cloth on her face And she's trying to fight it off, but she's tiny. I mean, she was weighing only about 80 pounds. He's a large, heavy man. And the the rag was soaked in chloroform. So she starts passing out. He drags her into the deepest corner of the cellar that was outfitted for her. So in order to get there, you had to pass through eight different um, locked rooms that only he had the keys, like locked doors that only he had the keys to. eight doors? Yeah eight doors and then it was behind a fake door a fake bookshelf you would move the bookshelf and it was this tiny little hole that you had to crawl through so it wasn't even like a walkway it wasn't even like that then later there would be two electronic remote controlled doors that he would only have the code to so that she could never leave i mean this was completely bulletproof so he went through all of those doors dragged her into the deepest part and when she starts waking up i mean she can hardly see anything she can hardly move i mean the chloroform it's strong and 
this is her first time in the cellar. So it takes her a hot minute to realize I'm in the cellar. Like I'm not in my room with the fork. Her hands were tied behind her back with a chain that was then tied to the floor. So she can't move. She can't even reach that little hole that she came in through. And the scariest part of all of this is that the room was so obviously prepared for her arrival. She was laying on a king-size mattress that had a bed frame. There were pillows and linens on the bed. It was screwed to the concrete floor. There was a sink. There was, you know, an electric stove. There was oh a toilet. I don't know what's scarier. I think it's scarier knowing that this wasn't like an impulse, yeah. you know, decision. So for the first 24 hours, she's just left in the dark. She has no idea where her dad is, why he would do this, when this is going to be over, what's happening even. And for the next 24 years, she would be raped over 3,000 times. And she would give birth to seven children alone in that cellar. This is a perfectly concealed bunker to get to the cellar. Like I said, eight locked doors, then the final door concealed behind a bookshelf. Incredibly claustrophobic. There is no natural light coming in. There's very little air. There's no like crazy ventilation system. There's no AC system. I mean, she's inside this tiny little box room and it's underground. It smells. It's very, very stinky. It's dank. It has this um tiny, tiny little kitchenette almost with this portable electric stove. It's got this tiny little sink this tiny little toilet the highest point in the ceiling was six feet high and the rest were like very very like she would have to in most parts of this room she would have to stoop to walk she couldn't walk fully standing up the level of humidity inside of here was incredibly unpleasant there was no ventilation so in the winter the walls furthest from the boiler room which is around where she was they would be slimy the walls would be slimy that's how dank it was there was mold on practically every surface of the place because of how just humid and dank the situation was it was incredibly smelly the smell of mildew just penetrated everything i mean i can't believe that this has to be incredibly unhealthy for your lungs for your health to just be breathing that same air the room that she's held in had just this enormous bed that takes up most of the space which is very creepy in and of itself also how gross is that after all these years just in that yeah so just this bed it has a tv not because he wants to keep her entertained but because he wants to watch porn with her so he brought a tv in there (laughs) eventually near the end of her captivity he will expand the quarters to have two more rooms for the kids because he's she's going to give birth seven times um they would install a shower later but that would be way later the sink itself so for years she didn't have a shower she just has a tiny little sink and it has only cold water and in the winter it would just stop working because the pipes would freeze so she would have no water that was her drinking water cooking water showering water everything water that was her only source of water he's not lugging little water bottles down there for her the only light was a bare light bulb that hung from the ceiling and it could only be turned on and off from a switch on the wall that was several rooms away that she couldn't reach that she could never get to She doesn't have access to it. So he could leave her completely in the dark for as long as he wanted to, for whatever reason he wanted. And he would. He would do these scheduled blackouts to throw her off. So for weeks at a time, she would just be in complete darkness. What kind of fucking monster is that? Like, why why would you do that to your daughter? (sighs) He has this whole spiel about it. 
These days, after all of this day filled with true crime, the last thing that I want to do is hop onto Netflix and binge watch another true crime series, which, by the way, that's like my guilty pleasure, okay? But you know what I feel exactly zero guilt about? How much I love playing Best Fiends. This is this is my nighttime go-to now. I lay in bed. I want to turn off my brain, but not completely. Like, I still want to be engaged. I want to be stimulated. I play this game because it's just so relaxing, but challenging at the same time. It's like the perfect mix. Best Fiends is a free-to-download match-three puzzle game like none other, with literally thousands of levels and new content added all the time. They have over 100 million downloads, so you know that it's not just me. And I'm already on level 86, which I'm kind of proud of. I've been having this like little friendly competition with my fiancé. He's like on level 50-something, so I just have to say I'm a little bit better than he is. And my favorite part is just how fun the design is. I think the last thing I need is another serious thing in my life. And I'm someone that has to have like 25 things happening happening at once, so I love the fact that I can put on a show, turn on the news, and just play. With Best Fiends, there's something new today and tomorrow and practically every day after that. There's literally thousands of levels to play and counting, plus tons of cute characters to collect. So if you ever get tired of solving puzzles, good news. With Best Fiends, the fun never ends. I mean, just don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. The detectives immediately said it felt like life probably lasted at least 10 times longer when you're down there. It was rat infested. The smell is intense. But Joseph called it, and I quote, my kingdom in which only I have access. No one would have dared to enter my realm or even ask me what was going on down there. So the second day, she finally wakes up and he's down there and he full on starts beating her for 40 minutes straight just so that he can assert dominance. Not because she said anything, not because she did anything. He just starts hitting her in the face, the chest, suffocating her. I mean, she's chained to the bed. She's tiny. He's larger. She tries fighting back, but it doesn't work. And he flatly just tells her they can't hear you. So there's no point. If you don't do what I say, it will only get worse. You can't get out of here anyway. These were his favorite things to say to her. And then he proceeded to rape her on her second day of captivity. And it would go on for hours. He would rape her about twice a day. He would leave to shower because he's strangely into personal hygiene. And then he would come back at night and he would rape her again for hours. Initially, during all of this, he wouldn't even talk while he was raping her. He never even said one word to her. He would just come in and rape her for hours. And Elizabeth told her attorneys later that... It seemed like he could do whatever he wanted. He was acting out sexually everything that he had built up in him. Because remember, when she ran away to Vienna, when mm -hmm. she was 16, this proved to him, oh shit, I thought I had complete control over this girl, and I don't. She pulled a wild card. He never in his wildest dreams expected that his daughter would run away. Mm -hmm. So for the next two years, he quietly built that cellar and never touched her because he was waiting. Once the cellar was complete, he would take it all out on her. With the television, he would turn on these really graphic porn videos and bring in props like the toys that were used in those videos and made her not only watch these videos with him, but made her use the props in the way that the actors did in the scenes. And this would again go on for hours at a time. Now what's crazy is for the next 24 years, nobody upstairs suspected anything. I think that's even scarier. The fact that he could have regular relationships with neighbors, community members, business partners, his family, and nobody thought, oh, he's got some dark secrets. Nobody thought, oh, he just got done raping his own daughter for hours. 
So Elizabeth, I mean, she's trying to fight back every chance she gets. She's looking for something. She's trying to like think, can I overpower him? Can I use the plastic spoons I used to eat to like dig a secret hole? I mean, I saw some movies about it. Maybe I could do some crazy prison break. Maybe, you know, when I'm sick, sometimes he brings down this bottle of Advil. Maybe I can try to steal it and I can crush up all the Advil, put it in his water, and hopefully he passes out somehow and I can leave. Maybe that's how... But none of it would really work. I mean, he was really, really evil. He would break her spirits. He starved her for days, left her in complete darkness. When it would get freezing in the cellars, he would take away her clothes. And she would just be left completely naked for weeks. Even having clothes was a luxury. Here's where it gets even more sad. So the first Christmas without Elizabeth, her entire family believed that she ran away. So she spent her first Christmas in the cellar alone in the dark while above her, her family were celebrating Christmas and her siblings, they were resentful. I mean, all of her sisters and brothers, they hated their dad. They all wanted to leave and they understood Elizabeth and she finally escaped, but she didn't even bother to try to call them. They were pissed. They were like, yeah, we all hate our dad. But how are you going to run away and not even call us? I thought you cared about us. I thought we were all in this together as siblings. Mm -hmm. I thought it was us against dad. But the minute that you get out, you don't even care about me, huh? They were Mm -hmm. pissed at her. They were mad. They were resentful of her. Now, the winter itself was really hard. Rats were wild during the winter. They were always scuttling around. The noise was so stressful to listen to. She said one day she would get a broom and she could not stop listening to this noise. Imagine being in the dark and all you just hear is the, are these rats moving around. So she grabs a broom and she slams it down on a rat and it, it was killed. She kills the rat. And for some reason, she felt like she needed to measure it out and it measured to be eight inches long. So this terrifies her and she just wants to stop hearing this rat noise because she just, she just killed a rat and she's like oh my god these are all there they're everywhere every little noise is this rat so she starts running around banging her body onto the walls to try to get the noise to stop Mm -hmm. and finally once she collapsed onto the bed completely exhausted probably bruised up nobody came to help her and the rat started scuffling again so i'm just saying like that's just how painful these winters were here's the crazy thing during all of this there were tenants living directly above her right above where she was kept was where they were renting out their room for tenants. Over 24 years, over 100 different tenants would live there, renting the space above where Elizabeth was held. But she couldn't make a noise. No. And they had rules. They weren't allowed to go near the cellar or the garden area. Nobody heard anything or questioned it, really. They were just all living their normal lives. None of the tenants thought it was weird. Um, They had these house parties, too. Like, the tenants would invite all of their friends over. There was actually a video of one of these parties where the tenants were hanging out with each other. They were drinking some beer. They were playing with their guitars. And they said that it still haunts them to this day, knowing that they were partying while someone was locked up right below them and it's like this incredibly frustrating feeling the only strange thing that has ever happened is one of the tenants had this labrador named sam this really smart dog and an absolutely amazing dog never does anything bad never barks never pees just completely follows all the rules well behaved well tempered but sometimes it would just look at the carpet and just bark and like scratch at the floor as if it's trying to dig something and growl randomly it'll wake up at three in the morning and start growling at the ground Oh my God. On random days, the dog would lay quietly, like on its side with its ear pressed up to the ground, and then it would start growling. Oh my while it's just God. laying on the ground there was no other sound. There was no one approaching the tenant's space, and the tenant would just be like, That's weird. Huh. But never really did anything because you're never going to think, Oh, my dog's acting weird. That means someone's living underground me. Someone's being held captive underground. You would never really think that, right? 
So the tenants are just living their lives, have no idea. Maybe the dog is the only one that had any sort of inkling that something weird was going on. Listen to your dogs, folks. Listen to your dogs. Investigate everything your weirdo dog does, okay? Sometimes my dog will stare out into space for like five minutes. I'm like, that's a fucking ghost for sure. trying to add some lightness into this darkness and it's not working so during the winter she would wrap herself in these blankets her entire feet and her hands would constantly be numb the pipes would freeze she would have no running water and her father liked her best when she was helpless that's what elizabeth said that's when he liked her the most his own daughter when she's helpless so he refused her request her multiple requests for a clock she said i just want some sense of time i just want something i'm going crazy and he said no and on top of that he would stage week-long blackouts in the cellar just to throw her off just to throw her off keep her in complete darkness disrupt her rhythm for the first couple of months she couldn't even watch tv i mean he allowed her to when he left he she he said you could watch the tv turn on the news or something and she just said it was so alienating to sit there and watch like normal life go on mm. she just couldn't do it for months now he hated the chain on her waist so any time that he wasn't in the room with her he had her chained up because he didn't want her getting even close to the door right mm-hmm. so um the chain around her waist he hates it because while he's raping her he would get tangled up in the chain so he doesn't like the fact that he's getting tangled around the chain around her waist that he put on her so that she can be shackled to the ground so that's when he starts uh, implementing this remote control system for the doors the door closest to the cellar so the two doors they were electronic now so he has this remote anytime he's in there she can't run out he can click the button it's done like she can't leave so all of them become more like tech savvy he also tells her that the doors are fitted with alarms if she somehow is able to get the door open from the inside she will be not only electrocuted but there will be a gas released into the room and any attempt to run will be absolute suicide that's not necessarily true but she had every reason to believe it was I mean, even if that didn't happen, she couldn't really get out. There had to be a code. She didn't have any of the keys. So she would really never get that far. But Mm -hmm. even if she could, he was like, you're going to die. So she started for the next like four years of her captivity. So the first four years, she's contemplating suicide. She's contemplating how to kill him. She's thinking about all of these things. And then she finds out that she's pregnant. She has been missing her periods. And this is Joseph's disgusting response. She finally tells him. And he said, well, that's great because some of my happiest years with my wife, you know, your mom, was when she was pregnant. A new child is a great source of joy and it's a new beginning. Why would it not be the same down here in the cellar? And so he was excited and he told her straight up, you should be grateful. A baby is what every woman wants and I have given you the gift of a child. Yeah, he looks, my fiance is looking at me like, this is the craziest shit he's ever heard. Like, I feel, right now, like, everything he says, you know, a lot of times, like, criminals, I can kind of think, oh, this is why they say or act this way. But this person, I just couldn't. Everything is so (laughs) odd. He's like a walking contradiction. Yeah, it's just so evil, but you don't know where that came from. Yeah, you're also like, oh, no, having a kid is an amazing thing. Also rapes his kids. Like, what is happening? Like, it's just a walking confusion. So she has a miscarriage for her first pregnancy. And very soon after, she gets pregnant again. And she's 
terrified. I mean, she never wanted to be pregnant. She doesn't want to have kids with her own father, first of all. Second of all, I mean, imagine the situation. You don't even want to live here. How are you going to take care of a child? She's only 22 at this point. She's been living in captivity for four years. She's trying to escape. She's not trying to be a mom. And she's terrified. Now, the rest of the pregnancy for her second pregnancy, they are healthy. She is growing. She doesn't have a miscarriage. And finally, it's coming around time to the time that she gives birth. And she's freaking terrified. This is not only a painful process, but it's a process where even with the help of modern medicine, midwives, doctors, nurses, you could still die in childbirth. It's not even to this day, you're not like guaranteed, oh yeah, you're still going to live after you give birth to a child. So he buys her this lousy ass book. That's the only thing he really buys her. And she starts preparing. It's about giving birth. It's about parenthood, all of that jazz. And she starts panicking i mean what like even if this is successful how am i gonna raise a kid in here with these conditions like what will their life be am i ruining this kid's life what what's happening so finally she's approaching her due date and joseph gives her for her birthing experience a pack of diapers one extra blanket and scissors to cut the umbilical cord no painkillers was he there too nope and he left oh my goodness he stayed away from the cellar for about two weeks so he didn't come back for two weeks because yeah we'll get into it you know because he doesn't know is the mom gonna live is the kid gonna live are they both gonna be dead so he decide you know what i'm just gonna stay away for two weeks and whatever happens happens down there so using only this one book she tried to learn everything about what it feels like when your contractions start hitting what happens when your water breaks she kept reading about how to cut an umbilical cord that was the scariest part for her because it's a super straightforward procedure you snip it but it can have deadly consequences if you do it wrong like it's one of those things where you think it's so simple but so many people die from it another problem is that so many new moms die from infections the cellar conditions are beyond filthy beyond filthy how how is she not not going to get infected how is the baby going to be healthy i mean these are all questions that's freaking her out so her water breaks and the baby's ready to come the baby's like i'm here mom like let's get this party started she panics she's all alone all she has is this one little light bulb on like it's pretty dark in there in the filth so she rushes heavily pregnant contractions she boils water on a portable stove this is how smart she is and she boils the pair of scissors Now, she waits for it to air dry because she can't dry them on the filthy sheets or the clothes because that's an infection. And she gives birth all by herself and she cuts the cord all by herself and a tiny baby girl by the name of Kirsten was born almost to the day of the four year anniversary of her capture, captivity, should I say. She was 22 years old and she just gave birth to her first child who will ultimately later save her life. Because when Kirsten is 19, Joseph calls for the ambulance to come. Kirsten was 19. Is that not insane? Insane. So Elizabeth has changed. You know, her goal is no longer to find a way to die, find a way to kill him. Her goal is completely different now. It's to stay alive, stay alive, and make sure this baby stays alive. That's it. She has no other goal. She can no longer have the luxury of contemplating if she wants to end her life even. That's not something she can do. So for the next 10 days, she just breastfeeds in the dark. Like she's just all alone. She's in so much pain. I mean, usually he's down there every single day to rape her. But now just for like two weeks, he doesn't show up. Insane. 
So he doesn't even give a reason later in trial, but a lot of people think it's because he's trying to rid himself of the responsibility in case something goes wrong. The death of a mother, the death of a child, the death of both. He just doesn't want to be there in case any of those happen. So he's like, whatever, I'll just come back later and deal with the consequences later. So life with Kristen was, uh, Kirsten is the pronunciation, was hard. I mean, she had to warm up her food with only her body heat. So eventually she couldn't even breastfeed well because, I mean, with those conditions, her health was deteriorating. She would have to get the baby formula and it has to be a certain temperature. My sister has a newborn baby. It has to be a very specific temperature. It has to be warm. And she would have to use her body heat in the cold winters to heat up the baby food. Then she would later have to chew up food for Kirsten with sink water. If there was water at the time, because he wouldn't buy baby food. He was really cautious about it. He never bought anything for the underground family is what he called it in any of the local stores. He would drive an hour and a half to the next town over to buy diapers, to buy all of these other things. So he was trying so hard to not raise any eyebrows. But here's the crazy thing. He would go on vacation randomly for two weeks at a time. And one time the electricity went out while he was on vacation and it was freezing down there. There's 10 days in the dark with a newborn infant under a moldy blanket. She had to remove a tick from Kirsten's belly with a with a pair of tweezers. Meanwhile, he would still visit her every single day to beat her, rape her and force her to watch porn with him. So finally, he gives her a gift. He says, you know what? You've been such a good mom. Here's a gift. And she was so happy about this gift. It was a free notepad from a bank. It was the first writing utensil she's ever received since she's been down there. Just pen and paper? Free. Not even like a journal. Like a free one that had like all the bank logos on it. And they're like, thanks for being a valuable customer. And so she started writing a diary. She never wrote about the abuse, never tried to document it because she was scared it would send him into a murderous rage. She just kept a log of random things that would happen in there. Um, The first thing that she wrote down immediately were the names and birthdays of all of her siblings upstairs because she didn't want to forget and she didn't know how long she would ever be in there. And she was even scared that remembering her siblings would piss off her dad. So she would hide that. She would try to hide that she cared about her siblings still. Prior to this, she was using old receipts and scraps of paper and strips of torn bed sheets to like try to scribble down something. And she would like try to wad them into little balls and hide them. I can only imagine even the fear of losing what you used to have, like losing the memories, I think would be so terrifying of like, oh, one day, what if I forget what my brother looks like? What if one day I forget what the smell of grass is, right? I'd just be terrified of these things. I would want to write all of it down. And a lot of what she used or wrote down would later be used in court against her father, even though it wasn't necessarily, oh, this is the assault that happened. And she said that she never, never wanted to incriminate him with this journal. That wasn't the point of this journal. Because she said by the time she started writing these diaries, she had already given up all hope of escaping. She never thought that she would escape and some lawyer would look over these journals and use it against him. So every Christmas, her new gift would be a free diary, usually from a bank or something. And she would be so happy. The happiest moments that she would write down in the diary were um, her siblings' birthdays from upstairs. She would Those days she would always write, it's my brother's birthday, like with exclamation points. Um, One time Joseph bought them ice cream. She would write that down. Kirsten learns how to walk. She would write that down. And during the fifth year of imprisonment, Joseph claimed to everyone that he believed that she was, and I quote, my wife. 
So he tells the upstairs family, Rosemary and all of Elizabeth's siblings, I'm going on more business trips, guys. I'm a businessman. When in reality, he wouldn't even leave the house. He would go underground into the cellar and he would just spend a week with his underground family, is what he called it, with Elizabeth and the kid. (laughs) It's just crazy. Joseph would lay in bed with Elizabeth and tell her stories of upstairs. He would brag about it. He would say, I'm installing our second pool upstairs. It's going to be salt water. It's going to be heated. Oh, during the summer months, I love sunbathing up there before I come down here. Here's the messed up part. In the summer, the cellar would be upwards of 86 degrees Fahrenheit. So he's sitting there bragging about taking a dip in the pool right above. And she's just like, yay. So happy that the second pool is going great for you. He would later claim to the prosecutors that he was a good father because one time the mold in the cellar got so bad that the TV broke because of the humidity, because of the mold. The entire thing was molding. Everything inside of that cellar was molded. And eventually he replaced the TV with a new one. And he says, I'm a good father. I provided for my family. That's what he said to the prosecutors because he replaced a TV in the jail cell that he created. It's insane. I mean, she hated him so much. But at the same time, like, imagine this crazy feeling of she hates this man so much, but she's also so scared if anything happens to him. They already were having so much food shortages. If he's injured, if he's hospitalized, if he's killed, if he dies, her daughter will die. Her kid's going to die in her arms and there's nothing she can do about it. So when Kirsten is two years old, Elizabeth gives birth to the second baby, Stefan born in the darkness again with only Elizabeth, and this was another miracle baby. And she was finally gifted an alarm. For the birth of the second child, he gave her an alarm. And he says, listen, you want some like normalness in your life? Here you go. Here's an alarm. And so she would set it every morning to wake up at six in the morning. She would be in bed by 10 p.m. And during all of the daytime, she would take care of the kids. This was one of her very few possessions, her little free notebooks and an alarm. And then the next Christmas, he got her, like, think about it. You only own, like, four things. And this, you have to beg for these things. He bought her a scale for her weight. What? Because he doesn't like fat women. And when his wife upstairs, Elizabeth's mom, Rosemary, was pregnant, she would get fat. In his words. Those are his words, not mine. And so he didn't want the same to happen to Elizabeth. And how did... Elizabeth feel about the scale. I'm sure disgusted. Like, what the... Like, she never asked for it. I mean, yeah, I understand that. But with someone who doesn't have anything, do you think she treasures it? I think she treasured it in the sense that... I mean, I'm trying to think in her shoes, which I can never do. But I would think maybe in the growth and development of her kids, it would be Mm, good. Right, right, right. right. Like, she'd be like, this is good. Nice. To, you know, make sure they're not malnourished i mean they were really unhealthy and then two years again another baby is born so this is baby number three because she's raising like multiple kids underground so she has she's raising two kids at this point and she has the third baby by the way elizabeth never wanted to give birth to any babies i mean Mm -hmm. can you can you blame her in this situation but joseph says condoms and i quote are emasculating i hate people So she gives birth to Lisa, baby number three, and the birth went well. She was born a healthy baby, a miracle baby. This is the third miracle baby. And for the next eight months, everything goes well. But then all of a sudden, 
Lisa is eight months old and she just like won't stop crying. Like no matter what anybody does, no matter what Elizabeth does, no matter what, you know, Joseph does, not that he does anything. He's a piece of shit. No matter what anybody does, she just like won't stop crying. So Joseph gets annoyed. He's like, listen, the upstairs tenants, they're eventually going to hear something because she's just crying her little soul out. We need to stop this. And it was very obvious to both of them that Lisa, something was wrong with Lisa. This wasn't just a baby crying because she didn't like the seller. This wasn't a baby that was like, I'm just going to cry like something was wrong with the baby so joseph takes lisa in a cardboard box and forces elizabeth to write a note and places that note and that cardboard box on his front doorstep and pretends that he discovered this quote-unquote abandoned baby on the doorstep and she's immediately rushed to the hospital and she had to have emergency heart surgery now the letter that was written by elizabeth was heartbreaking because these are her children and as much as she wants her children to live a normal life this is her child and she's never going to see this child again and she knows that once that child is upstairs that's it that's not her child anymore technically in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of joseph like her baby's gone her baby's being kidnapped by joseph so she wrote dear parent like her parents. Mm -hmm. I passed on my little daughter, Lisa, to you. Look after her carefully. You're probably wondering why you're hearing from me only now, since this letter comes along with a human surprise. I'm incapable of caring for her. Hope she won't be too much trouble for you. I'm all right. Don't look for me. So they give this to the doctors. They give this to the police. You would think that the police would be like, that's a very suspicious letter. What kind of letter is that? But they're not. They get handwriting experts and they say it matches Elizabeth's schoolwork. Like it matches her handwriting from her school papers. It seems like, oh, didn't you say that she disappeared a couple years ago, like six years ago, and she disappeared into like a cult? Well, at this point, it'd be like eight years ago, um, disappeared into a cult. That would make sense. She has a baby. The cult drives her here in the middle of the night. She drops off the baby. She gets back into the car, drives away with the cult. It makes sense. Lisa also looked just like Elizabeth. So the Fritzl parents, Joseph and Rosemary, they provided pictures of Elizabeth and they're like, they look the same. So it's definitely her baby. And here's the crazy thing. The hospital said this baby was probably born in a hospital. We just don't find the records because her umbilical cord had been cut and clamped with expert precision. So we just we think that she was definitely born in a hospital. We just don't know which one. There's no record of it. I don't know if the cult paid them off or something, but she had to have been born in a hospital. Wow. So gathering all of this information, I mean, Rosemary, the mom of Elizabeth, she seemed shocked. She was like, does my grandkid just like dropped off on my doorstep? And Lisa was legally allowed to be fostered by Rosemary and Joseph Fritzl. Not only would they allow them to foster their grandchild, but the state would give them 400 euros a month to support the fostering of this child. And everyone in the town believed Elizabeth was, and I quote, a slut and brought shame to her family. Good thing that she had some caring parents to fall back on. That was the only fortunate thing in this situation. Imagine if she didn't have amazing Rosemary and Joseph Fritzl. What would happen to her baby then? So after years of begging, Joseph allows Elizabeth to enlarge the room. So they go from 380 square feet to finally 600 square feet. He forced Elizabeth and the kids to dig out soil using their own hands. He installed two new rooms, two tiny new rooms with little beds for the kids, and then a separate bed for joseph and elizabeth and showers he had some hot water installed and everyone was really excited except for four-year-old stefan because he was terrified for four years he only knew 380 square feet and his mind could not comprehend that it just doubled 
He was terrified of the new space. Oh my goodness. I would say I'm a little imperfect. I've got some imperfections, right? We all have them. Yeah? No. <laughs> You're I mean, perfect. So so why do we hold our groceries to a different standard? You know, why are we okay with our imperfections, but our apple? No, our apple cannot have one little flaw. It's got to be the perfect circular, red, shiny, glossy. Why? That doesn't make sense to me. Get your groceries from Imperfect Foods to help create a kinder, less wasteful food system that embraces food of every shape, size, and physical appearance. Because every year, billions of pounds of food go to waste, often because it doesn't even live up to the strict cosmetic standards of grocery stores. They don't even make it onto the shelves where you're purchasing. Imperfect Foods is on a mission to reimagining grocery delivery for a kinder, less wasteful world. So they deliver sustainable, affordable groceries, including produce, quality protein, eggs and dairy, and pantry staples straight to your door. Plus, they're always adding fun and tasty new discoveries for you to try every single week. All you have to do is sign up, create your flexible, personalized grocery plan, and then shop online each week to get affordable and sustainable groceries delivered directly to your door. I mean, this is amazing because I get to help the world, but I also skip those parking lots and those crowds and those lines and that awkward eye contact with the cashier. Sign up with Imperfect Foods today to save time, save money, and save food from going to waste. And right now, Imperfect Foods is offering our listeners 20% off plus free shipping on your first order when you go to imperfectfoods.com com and make sure to use promo code ROTTEN. Try Imperfect Foods now and for a limited time get 20% off plus free shipping on your first order. Go to imperfectfoods.com and use ROTTEN to sign up. That's 20% off plus free shipping at imperfectfoods.com. Offer code ROTTEN for the people in the back. So two years after Lisa is born, they have, um, well she has, baby number four, Monica. And again, Monica is born this healthy baby, and the birth went as well as it can. And then around nine months, Monica just like wouldn't stop crying. So Joseph gets worried again, and Elizabeth's getting worried because Lisa needed life-saving surgery. So what if Monica has the same problem? What if Monica needs life-saving surgery? I mean, she's freaking out. She gets forced to give up Monica again, and he took her outside and left her outside in the freezing cold on the front doorstep of their family home in the middle of a December night and just went inside. And he did this because it would be very suspicious for him to find the baby twice. Because he found Lisa. So somebody else has got to find Monica. So Rosemary wakes up in the middle of the night to hear a baby crying. And she's like, what the fork? She looks outside her window. She sees like a pram, like one of those baby carriers outside her front door. She freaks out, goes to the front door, picks up this baby. The baby's crying. I mean, she's shocked that the babies didn't freeze to, be- to death because it's like December. Mm-hmm. She finds a note from Elizabeth pretty much saying, again, so sorry. How's Lisa? This is Monica. And then the phone rings. And there was a recording, like a audio recording of a female voice that sounded like Elizabeth mm-hmm. that was like, hey, parents, sorry, here's my baby. Later, we find out that Joseph forced Elizabeth to do this audio recording to make it a little bit different from the first one and called the family home. Rosemary went to the police. She reported it. And the one thing she couldn't get over was we, we recently changed our landline. Like we recently changed our number. I mean, it's crazy. These cults must have crazy connections because I did not tell anybody about this new home phone number. So the police were like, yeah, cults do be Colton. They do be crazy. 
So Monica's pain, Rosemary found, the grandma found the source of Monica's pain. She didn't need, you know, life-saving surgery. She actually had this tiny hair somehow um, stuck into one of her toes. It would be invisible to Elizabeth in the dim light of the cellar, and it was ingrown. It was incredibly painful, and they had to, like, get it removed. The little hair saved Monica from a life in the cellar. Wow. And perhaps her entire life because, I mean, the kids in the cellar, they were not receiving any medical attention no matter how sick they got. And they were getting sick often. So this would be the second child on the doorstep. And authorities, they were not concerned. Neither was CPS. They were just like, wow, this is insane. Like, I can't believe your daughter is such a four. That's what they would say. Wow, it's you guys are amazing parents. I mean, you already raised so many kids. Like, wow, you do so much for your kids. And they again received another 400 euros a month for Monica's care. Here's the really messed up part. Joseph would bring down Lisa and Monica to the cellar. What? Randomly. And he said he could only do this until they start talking because once they start talking, they can never know about the cellar. We we, we can only bring them down when they are not forming real memories yet. Mm. And eventually Elizabeth pulled Joseph aside and asked if he could not bring them down. Because it was too much for Kirsten and Stefan to watch their siblings disappear upstairs where they were never allowed and where they would never go. So he eventually stopped bringing them. And there would be two families now, two families of life events. The children below knew that they had siblings. They knew that they lived upstairs. They knew that they would never see them again. Joseph would even bring down videos and pictures of them on vacation. And all the kids, Kirsten and Stefan, they were just amazed at the world. They were amazed at the difference. And Elizabeth tried everything to raise these kids right. So she creates this routine. 6 a.m., breakfast, wash up. She would sit down, teach Kirsten and Stefan. She convinced Joseph to buy books and newspapers. They would learn reading, writing, math. They would take routine exams. Their favorite thing to do was watch nature documentaries. They learned about grass, sunshine, and rain. They knew what it looked like. How did she explain to the kids that they can't leave? Oh, she explains it all. Yeah. But they didn't know what grass or sunshine or rain looked like, smelt like, felt like. They wouldn't experience it until they were teenagers. Kirsten was 19. Stefan was 17. She would save up flour and butter and sugar so that on their birthdays, she could bake them little cakes. Oh, my. She attempted to throw these little birthday parties, but they didn't have anything. So she would get um, like used paper and she would make these paper chain links and hang them up to decorate for a party. They wanted to play dress up, you know, because they, they have a TV. They know what costumes are and stuff. So she started sewing patches of different materials that they could no longer use, even like packaging of bags and canned foods. She would like sew them up and make costumes for the kids so that they could dress up and try to have a normal childhood. Sometimes Joseph would bring them small gifts. When I say small gifts, I'm talking a bucket of snow because it just snowed upstairs. And this would make their entire year to just have a bucket of snow that would melt and like, you know, soon, but they would just die over this bucket of snow. The kids hated Joseph, by the way. He beat them nonstop. If it was something as small as you're not sitting up straight enough at the dinner table, he would just fly into a rage and beat the kids. The first present he ever got the children were a mirror and the kids sat for hours because they had never seen a mirror before. Or they've never seen themselves. They've never seen themselves. They were just amazed. It had been like over a decade since, you know, Elizabeth had even seen a mirror. 
and the assaults continued. The only difference now was that Elizabeth stopped fighting because of her children, not because she liked it, not because she consented, because of her children. Joseph would tell the prosecutors later that they were engaged in a, and I quote, proper relationship, that he would take her into another room because they expanded and they would have sex and that the feelings that he had towards Elizabeth were now mutual. What? So two years after that, she had twins, baby number five and baby number six, identical twin boys, Alexander and Michael. And Joseph, for the first time, was there for the births. He was present. And Michael came out first and immediately they both noticed that his umbilical cord was suspiciously pale and he was laid out on the bed. Alexander was a really hard birth. Like this is the type of birth when she's pushing out Alexander, they would have called in like multiple doctors at this point at a hospital. But she gave birth to Alexander. She put up with that pain and both of the babies seemed fine for a couple of hours until suddenly Michael had this difficulty breathing. He's wheezing. He's refusing to feed. His legs are becoming stiff. So the next day he's he's alive, but he's getting worse. And Elizabeth is like begging him for help. Like, please just just take him upstairs, like take him to the hospital, do something. And Joseph told her, and I quote, what will be will be and went back upstairs and didn't come back for days. Michael died three days later and Joseph still didn't come around for days. So she was just holding her dead cor- her dead baby's corpse in her arms for days. And he came back, picked up the body incinerated Michael's little corpse and spread the ashes in the yard. And Elizabeth, I mean, she was destroyed by this. And to comfort her, Joseph said, perhaps he would have been disabled. Who knows? Maybe this was a good thing. Elizabeth started her own double life down in the cellar. Elizabeth would tell her children not to tell Joseph about anything that they talk about, but they would listen. And she told them straight up the cold, hard truth. The reality is we're being held captive here. I was forced against my will. I'm down here. There is a life outside of this cellar that is way different. Normal families do not live like this. She told them everything. She told them the reality of everything. She told them the truth. But when Joseph came, they would play into his fantasy. They would pretend like they're a normal family, a perfect family that they don't know. They don't know that this is strange. They don't know that this is illegal and disgusting and horrendous. They Mm -hmm. just acted like this is life. Mm -hmm. So they had their own little double life going on. At one point, Joseph goes on vacation with one of his friends, Paul, and he took videos of him while his entire family is like held underground. So he's got his upstairs family, his downstairs family. That's what everyone calls them. He's got a downstairs family and he goes on vacation with his friend Paul for like a week and a half. And Mm -hmm. he took a bunch of videos and he's laughing. He's shirtless on the beach, just giggling. He he ha ha. He actually sold all of these videos to the highest bidders. Because he was like, fuck my friend, whatever. He sold all those videos. And in hindsight... Wait, what do you mean sold these videos? These like home videos. Like imagine I go on vacation and I start vlogging. Turns out the friend I went on vacation with turned out to be a murderer. So then I sell the videos oh, to Oh, their tablets. friend was selling the video. Yeah, later after the crimes came out. Because he was like... really fucking odd too. Yeah, he was really odd. He was like, he's dead to me. But he just kept saying, look at him. He's laughing. He's laughing. Like, what was he thinking? What was going on in his head? So later they go into this like night market while they're on vacation. And the friend, Paul, is like, hey, you should buy a dress for Rosemary or something. I mean, they've got everything here. You should, And they're so cheap. Just buy her a dress. Uh-huh. And he's like, nah, she didn't need anything. And he starts looking around. Paul is vlogging a little bit. And he vlogs Joseph buying this really red small dress. Really uh-huh. small. And Paul's thinking to himself, that's not going to fit Rosemary. That's definitely not going to fit Rosemary. And he lo- he turns around. Joseph turns around, sees Paul vlogging and is like, put that camera down. 
who are you trying to show that to? And he's like, whoa, it's I'm not going to show anyone. Why would I show anyone? He's like, delete the footage. He's like, all right, like, what's the big deal? And he said, because this dress isn't for Rosemary. It's for my girlfriend. And Paul was like, all right, well, you're cheating on your wife. That's none of my business. But he didn't delete it. He didn't delete it. Oh, and later he sold it to tabloids. And later we find out, you know, that dress was not for his girlfriend. It was for his daughter that he was holding captive in the cellar. So Alexander, once he's a couple months old, um, one of the twins, the surviving twin, uh-huh. um, he he is sent upstairs. So this is the third baby now that's going to live in the upstairs life. And people didn't really bat an eye. Um, some people did mention that Alexander has an uncanny resemblance to Joseph. And Joseph would confidently laugh this big belly laugh and say, you know, those Fritzl genes, they're strong. Saying Elizabeth passed it on. Yeah. And, you know, Rosemary, she tried to raise them like her own and she was praised for it by the community. This is crazy. This is now you've got what, like nine kids, (laughs) the three kids, Elizabeth ran away. I mean, absolutely nuts. She would try to host these parties for them. And another reason why people believe that Rosemary had no idea is that she would actually have fellow neighbors and fellow parents come into the house. And they said you would have to have nerves of steel to invite people over when there's a cellar right underneath them with an entire family being held captive. Like Rosemary Mm -hmm. is like this naive, if anything she's kind of dumb that's how people describe her like Mm. she seems really like not a lot's going through that head Mm. so maybe that's her excuse i don't really know so the press even started talking about it the local press they said this is the third baby and they all talked about her in a very negative way and Mm. it was almost like a teaching moment warning parents don't let your kids join cults because they're just gonna drop off babies on your doorstep like please child services they believe this cult story they just thought it was insane you know, all the neighbors believed it. They just thought, how bad of a mom can you be to just keep abandoning your kids? They felt bad for Joseph and Rosemary. They already have seven children. Now they have more. In fact, people were so impressed because Elizabeth's three, ki- three kids. So we've got Lisa, Monica, and Alexander. They were doing really well. They were adapting to life well. They did well in school. They were all taught musical instruments. So it seemed like with, even though they knew that their mom abandoned them, they were living okay with their grandparents. Alexander was Joseph's favorite child for a while upstairs, right? And um, eventually he started liking Rosemary more. He started liking grandma more than grandpa. And Joseph got so pissed that he wanted another son. So Elizabeth gets pregnant again. And finally, in 2002, she has her last baby. And it was Felix, her youngest son. And he would be spending the next six years in the cellar, too. Around this time, around 2007, 2008, Joseph starts planning an insane dream of his. He wants to merge the two families together. He wants to act like Elizabeth finally got away from the cult. She's bringing up her three kids, Kirsten, Stefan, and um, Felix. And they're just going to live in the space that tenants were living right above them. So he's actually kind of want to bring Elizabeth back into... Into the real world. It's insane. Now, nobody would know that Joseph is... Well, in his eyes, her husband, plus the father of her children, because, you know, technically they are all family. So nobody would think it's strange that he's the grandpa. So, of course, he's going to love those kids like they're his own. Why wouldn't he? He's the grandpa. Mm -hmm. When in reality, he's the father and the grandpa and the rapist and the fucking devil. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the real reason that he wanted to merge the families is because he was eventually going to be outnumbered. At this point, Kirsten's 14, Stefan's 12. There's going to be a day where there's three adults, maybe even four versus just him. So it's better to just kind of merge them and do it in a way that seems seamless. There was nothing in his brain for some reason that ever thought, that ever thought that any of the kids or that even Elizabeth herself would call the cops once they got up there. He just thought he had them wrapped around their fingers so well that they just like truly loved him or something. I don't know. I don't know what his thought process was so he starts buying up property because he says if i'm gonna support this family upstairs you know they're gonna need to buy clothes because right now they were like they were wearing rags they were not he was not spending any money on them mm-hmm. most of like the food that he was getting was really cheap canned or sometimes free most of their gifts that he gave them were free like he just wasn't spending any money on them because mm-hmm. people wouldn't look at them they're in a the cellar so he needs money So he buys up a bunch of property. He was loaned 3.5 million euros from a bank to buy more property. And everyone, his plan was everyone's going to have a job. Elizabeth is going to be my secret wife and my secretary. Kirsten, she's going to be my maid and my chef. She's going to cook. Stefan, he's got this engineering talent. He's 12. He's really good at like making little toys. So we're going to make him remodel some of these buildings where he's going to remodel them with me. Felix, who's young. He's only Mm -hmm. like a couple years old. He's impressionable because he's so young. So I'm going to mold him to be the same as me, an amazing man, Joseph. And he's going to be the heir to my empire. What the fork is wrong with this dude? And this spectacular reunion was going to happen near the Christmas of 2008. They were going to show up on the doorstep, ready for the holidays. Hey, mom. Hey, siblings. It's been a wild 24 years at the cult, but I'm back now. Here are my kids. So he's telling her this plan right now? Yeah. And she's like, you're fucking bonkers. She's not really even thinking anything is going to happen. She's Mm. like, this is just him talking some nonsense. Mm -hmm. But then in March of 2008, towards um, April, Kirsten gets sick. So now we're caught up to speed. She gets admitted into the hospital. The doctors want to talk to Elizabeth. So Kirsten got really sick. And the dad's like, I have to bring her up this time. Yeah, because, you know, she's old. Or is he doing that because he also planning to merge the family? So it's a little bit of both. Oh, okay. It was a lot of persuading on Elizabeth's part. She was like, this is the time. What a perfect time. You know, my kid goes to the hospital. I show up being like, oh, where's my kid? You know, that was original, original plan that she's going to show up. Yeah. The original plan, not at the hospital, but it was going to be like Christmas time. They were just going to show up at the door. Not police attention. No doctor's attention. No one was going to be sick was the original plan. So nobody forced him to, to... to bring no. this child up. But Elizabeth doesn't think it's just about merging the families. She thinks it's because she, he, Joseph, sees every person as some someone who can do something for him. Yeah. And he wanted to keep Kirsten alive because he kept her alive for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And he wanted his return on investment. He wanted to merge her into the real world and for her to be his never saying no chef slash maid. So she thinks it's really disgusting and selfish, and I believe it. So the doctors, the police now get involved. And when Elizabeth gets questioned by the police, they start finally taking a deeper look. Because like I said, you know, she finally confesses, like, I've been held captive. And she talked for, like, hours straight, just about everything. And once they start taking a deeper look, they realize, okay, that's a little weird. So first of all, the letters that were sent from Elizabeth saying that she's in a cult, don't look for me. There were no undertones of religion in them. There was like, no, like, soon the UFOs are going to come. Don't worry, guys. We're all safe. 
Area 51, love, Elizabeth. Like, none of that was happening in the letters. Usually mm-hmm. when cult members send letters, there's so much, you know, talking about an apocalypse, talking about their religious views. They they can't stop. Like, they have to tell you about it. There was none of that. All of it was also postmarked from, like, five miles away. Like, really close by. Areas where Joseph had business in, actually. Like, property in. So, mm-hmm. what what's happening? Second of all, cults love children. They love having this army. If anything, they mm-hmm. take away your children in a cult to raise it as the cult's child. Like right. a little factory. So, this doesn't make sense either. And after Elizabeth tells them everything, Joseph Fritzl was arrested. And the officer who arrested him was the one that also helped him with some of the reports of Elizabeth being missing. And said, I cannot believe it's you. And he said, yeah, well, I feel sorry for my family, but it can't be undone. He was just like, matter of fact, Joseph was like, yeah, okay, like, sorry about it, but it can't be undone. And he denies being a monster. He said he was upset at the press coverage of how he, you know, could have done this to his family because he didn't kill them. He tried to raise the kids. He also stated, I'm not a man that would molest my children. What? What? So he tells his version of events to the police. And it goes like this. It's freaking insane, okay? So just get ready. This is the part that's your gut's going to be just twisting in a bunch. He tells them that he wanted to protect his daughter from people with questionable morals. You know, ever since Elizabeth had entered puberty, he's just, she's just been disobeying all of these rules and just really, really doing bad stuff, doing drugs. And it was all her fault. I'm just trying to be a good father. I had to trap her so that she wouldn't ruin her life with drugs. Now, I never... Uh, the abuse before she was being held captive. She said that I raped her. No, 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 no. Here's what happened. There's a man named Uncle Franz. They could not, the police could not confirm that this man ever existed. Okay. We don't know who he is. We don't know if this is a nickname. Is this a family friend? They don't know. No one knows who this man is. Well, when Elizabeth was nine years old, Uncle Franz, this imaginary character, was really interested in Elizabeth. And they went on vacation and in secret, away from Joseph Fritz, the loving father, Uncle Franz raped elizabeth and convinced her not to tell anyone but that that messed up elizabeth so much in the head that from that point on she would just have sex with anyone like i would have builders at the house you know helping me work on some of the construction and she's 13 and she would just have non-stop sex with them she was uncontrollable anyone who came near elizabeth you know she just wanted to have sex with them that's what he's <sighs> getting so mad and he's like wait elizabeth said i raped her no she must be confused with Uncle Franz or she's making it up. Maybe she's confused me with one of her other sexual adventures. It's a total mystery to me why she's telling you that I threatened her life in order to rape her. No, that didn't happen. And also, I kept her in the cellar because she's doing drugs and I'm trying to keep her away from doing drugs. It wasn't until four or five months that she was in the cellar that I was trying to comfort her because I'm saying, listen, Elizabeth, me being a good dad, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this so that you can get it together. And once you come out of the cellar, you'll never do drugs again. Right. Right. And she was crying. She's unhappy. She's pale. And I'm comforting her. And I realized for the first time that my daughter was a desirable woman. That's his quote. She didn't fight against it. She never said that she didn't want it. If she said no. I would have accepted it. There was no violence. There was no force. There was no threats. I treated her tenderly. So why'd you keep her in there for so long? Like, that's one thing. What the fork is 24 years? Mm -hmm. Okay, like that doesn't make any sense. And he says, well, in my daughter, I found the ideal partner. I desired her and she just like couldn't escape. You know, I had given her life and I think that she's my possession. 
So pretty much he's literally saying that I gave her life and I can take it away because I gave birth to her. He didn't even give birth, that fucker, because I'm her dad. I can do whatever I want. A person all to myself. That's what he said. A person all to myself. I have always wanted someone there for me with whom I can exchange intimacies. A person who wouldn't be influenced by other people. What was important for me was that Elizabeth was at my disposal for all of my needs all of the time. I mean, for conversations as much as sexual contact. He claimed that their relationship was mutual. He said that things started improving because Elizabeth convinced him to have children. And he became, and I quote, open to the idea of having children with Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth, he said, he said, Elizabeth hated using condoms because it made her feel less than. It made her feel worthless. He said. You think people buy these stories? Yes. And he told the press, I'm not the monster the media depicts me as. When I was in the bunker, I bought flowers for my daughter and books and toys for my children. I watched adventure videos with them while Elizabeth was cooking our favorite dish. We all sat around the table and ate together. The minute that he said that to the press, the next day, the newspapers were saying, is he making insanity plea? Because it was like, this, I mean, he's, this fucker's insane. Like if he, is he trying to be more insane? Because this is absolutely insane. He also stated is to the press. Is there photos of the bunker? Yeah. I'll put it in my source notes. It's really wow. bad. Kirsten would not be alive today if it wasn't for me. I made sure she got to the hospital. I could have killed them all. And nothing would have ever been known about it. No one would have ever found out. But uh, I saved Kirsten's life. That's what Joseph said. That's what Joseph said. So the whole question is, where does Rosemary stand in this? There was a whole debate about Rosemary because, I mean, is she really that naive? How does she not know? Did she really not look for her kid? Like her kid went missing for 24 years and shows up with babies. And she's like, yeah, I'll just raise these babies. That doesn't make any sense. So there has always been a huge debate about it. The police have only informally questioned her once. They never said that she had anything to do with it. There was no DNA found inside the cellar that belonged to anyone other than the underground family i'm not even ashamed okay i'm 24 wait am i 24 25 <laughs> no i'm 25 and i still have acne yes i said it i have adult acne and the only thing that i found that really works for me is prescription acne treatment okay but it's hard to get i mean you have to jump through so many hoops you have to take time off to, of work to go see a doctor sit in line in the pharmacy for your medications and it's just a lot until apostrophe apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. You get treated immediately and your medications are delivered straight to your door. You simply just fill out their online questionnaire and your skin concerns and your medical history. Then you snap a few little selfies and your dermatologist will get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored for you. The best part about this is that Apostrophe offers topical and oral medications, which I find that oral medications has helped me a ton in clearing up my acne. So you can treat your acne from the inside out and the outside in. Now, if you're like, listen, I'm blessed. I don't have no acne. They can also help you hit your other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. I don't know if it's just Los Angeles, but getting like a dermatologist office visit is just a, such a lengthy process. They're like scheduled out weeks in advance. And I was so happy that I didn't even have to go to the pharmacy during COVID to get my medicine. It's just shipped to my door. Everything's done in the comfort of my home. Get $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash rotten and use our code rotten this code is only available to you guys to get started go to apostrophe.com slash 
rotten and click begin visit then use code rotten at sign up and you'll get fifteen dollars off your dermatology visit that's a p o s t r o p h e dot com slash rotten and use that code rotten to get your dermatology visit for fifteen dollars off and we thank apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast So the police raid the cellar and immediately once they get into the cellar, they all looked at each other and they said, um, we should take three hour shifts. The smell. They said, once you step in, it's a smell that they can't even describe. It's, I mean, the way that they describe it, it almost makes it sound like it's like worse than a corpse for some reason. Because you know how every cop is like, oh, they immediately knew the smell. The only smell of the human corpse. You can no other smell. Mm-hmm. But they said it was so bad. They found sex toys, porn videos, handcuffs, whips. The saddest thing they said was the photo album. There was a photo album that was gifted to Elizabeth. And in the front of the album were pictures of the family upstairs. They were all living normal lives. They were wearing clothes. They all looked bright and vibrant. And I'm not saying that none of them didn't have emotional, physical, or verbal abuse from the parents. But they were still living a life. And then near the back, they had taken family uh, family photos of the underground family. And all of their faces were bone white. And their expressions were just unreadable. And it was almost like right on top of each other. There were these two families living completely different lives side by side for 24 years, two different worlds. And the only connection between them was Joseph. They also find 10 tablets of a date rape drug, a typewritten story called the St. Bernard, which is the story of a young widow's sexual relationship with a St. Bernard, a dog. Weird. A 10-page questionnaire called Imaginary Conversations Between a Whore and a Slave. It was like a a BDSM questionnaire. There was two photos of an unknown girl sitting naked in a bathtub. There were five pictures of women naked on a beach. There was a diary of a young woman, a tenant, where he had entered her apartment without her knowing, took her diary, photocopied it, returned it, and she never knew. I don't know why he did that. He just leaves these things downstairs. Yeah. Just this is like his little hideout spot. His little hideout spot. They also searched the rest of the house. And inside the house, they found that 10-page letter from one of the brothers that was to Elizabeth, which, you know, finally in 2008, she read and she was like, I never got that letter. Yeah, I never knew it happened. So the press is freaking out. And they'll only freak out more once it's released that Joseph had a prior abuse. He had um, the 1967, he confessed to raping the 24-year-old nurse while holding her at knife point. Only mm-hmm. served 12 months for that. And people were upset that 10 years after your rape conviction, why does it leave your record? So a bunch of people started, you know, activists got together and they were like, we need to get rid of this law. Like it needs to stay on your record forever because once a woman is raped, that's forever. Why does your criminal record get expunged after 10 years that's That's freaking gnarly the police and cps got a ton of backlash because cps went to the home 21 times 21 times how how did you not know anything was going on i mean that doesn't make any sense does it also the letters like that's any anyone with a brain that watched one episode of criminal minds would have been like that doesn't sound like a cult letter (laughs) what made it even worse is that this happened exactly two years after Natasha Kampusch had been rescued. So Natasha Kampusch, we talked about her on our YouTube channel. She was um, locked away in an underground bunker for eight years and escaped in 2006 by a mother forker named Wolfgang. And she escaped. And that was in 2006 she escaped. And now 2008, you're saying another girl? Another, an entire family? 
So they're like, is something wrong with CPS? Is something wrong with the government? Is something wrong with the police? Like this was a, a moral panic of like, wait a minute, Austria. I thought we were a relatively safe place. We're not like America. What's going on here? So Kirsten wakes up from the hospital. She had life-saving operations. And finally, she awoke. And for the first time ever, out of her coma, she saw daylight for the first time. And the police told her, you're going to be okay. We have your family. The doctors told her, it's going to be okay. Your mom's okay. You're going to be reunited. And her first, wor- her first words back were, hello, new life. And she smiled at the doctors. Wow. Elizabeth and all of the kids... Um, well, all of Elizabeth's kids. So the three kids that were living upstairs and the three kids downstairs, they were all reunited with Rosemary, Elizabeth's mom, at a psychiatric hospital to recover from all of this as a family. Mm-hmm. They had dedicated an entire unit. I think they had 14 doctors who are working on rehabilitating everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, the children who lived in captivity, they were released into a world that they had no idea. They had never experienced it, not even for one day. So you're you're saying there's going to be a lot of issues. The mm-hmm. first car ride, they ever had the police they had to they had to drive so slow because every bit of light the kids would kind of freak out because they had never seen a street light they had never seen a headlight of a car they had never seen a store let alone a store light and you know they had always been in this dim darkness and their eyes were hurting and everything was kind of like freaking them out imagine the panic one of them pointed at the moon the young one felix he pointed at the moon and said is that where god lives And so once they get admitted, their main serious issues that they were facing were light and open spaces. They were so sensitive to light and all of them would panic in big rooms, open spaces. It's it's just something like your human psychology does to you. Even Elizabeth, who had seen open spaces, who had been in open fields prior to her captivity. Wow. Stefan, the older brother, who was 17 when he was rescued, he, um, because of the low ceilings, he was always stooping. He had trouble walking straight. He had trouble walking in general because of the way that he was walking in the cellars with the low ceilings. Kirsten, she had a lot of trauma, like a lot of psychological trauma. She had torn out her hair in clumps while she was under there. So as she got older, the more she found out about what was going on. I'm sure that was weighing heavy on Kirsten, too, because she's 19 when they found her. Mm-hmm. Any dimming of the lights, any closing of doors, the door sound was really scary for them because he went through eight doors. Oh, my God. And every time they heard the doors, they knew he's coming and they hated him. So it would send them into anxiety, panics, just panic attacks. And they were having really difficulty. I mean, there were two sets of problems. So the upstairs children, Lisa, Monica and Alexander, Joseph had lied to them about their mom abandoning them. Now they find out that they have siblings and they were imprisoned in a cellar. They were living on top of their siblings. They have survivor's guilt. They have anger and resentment. Like what? I I don't even know this woman. Who is this? This is my mom and she has been held prisoner. Like, I don't know what to do. The downstairs children, they had deprivation of normal development, lack of fresh air, lack of daylight, abuse from Joseph, witnessing Joseph abuse their mother. I mean, all the children also had genetic issues from being born by incest. So there was just a lot. The team of 14 doctors, they were overwhelmed. This is a huge task. It was considered unprecedented in medical history. I think a lot of people were also fascinated with the fact that it's so sick and twisted how human minds work. And I think a lot of, you know, psychologists, they weren't thinking of it in the twisted way, but a lot of press, they were intrigued. 
Because, you know, when you think about it, if there were no morals, if there were no ethics, what kind of what kind of experiment would you do if you were a mad scientist? And sometimes you think about what if I held someone in isolation and then another kid and raised them differently? There's always like these weird experiments with twins. One of them grows up in this situation. Another one grows up in there. And then you see where they end up. So there was this sick fascination with the press to be like, let's compare the upstairs children with the downstairs children. Like what happened? Psychology experiment. So while they're being held in the psychiatric hospital, hundreds of reporters were outside trying to get their pictures. They called them in the press, incest family, cellar children, and the first picture of them would be worth around a million dollars. That was the bid. Like the news? Yeah. News network wants a photo. They want a photo. People were flying in from all across the world, sending journalists. One tabloid from um, the UK, they sent like 12 people. They were like, one of you forkers get a picture. They had to get police and private security detail at the hospital at all times. Photographers would go under disguise. One of them tried to disguise as a police officer, another one as a maintenance man. One of them tried to dig a hole into the hospital and camouflaged himself with dirt and was found by a police dog. What in the world? One of them tried to pay a patient who was um, in the mental institution for attempted suicide to smuggle in a camera, take pictures, and deliver the camera and the pictures to a quote-unquote visitor who would be a reporter. But that was caught. He did take pictures of the family, I believe, but they caught him before it went out, and they destroyed them. So the press started making up their own shit. I mean, they're just dying. They want to know about these quote-unquote cellar children. And so they started running these headlines. Incest children speak in their own animal tongue. Mixture of growling and cooing. They don't know how to speak in a language. They've got their own language. Sometimes the children will just crawl on all floors. One of them walks like a monkey. What? The children have no idea what the real world is. They were in a fantasy world for the last 24 years with wonderful stories of princesses and princes. They think they live in Disney World. So they're like running these crazy headlines. Meanwhile, Joseph and his attorney are some doing, doing some bullshit too. He's being held in prison and Joseph's lawyer tries to tell the press and excuse Joseph's behavior by saying that, well, it's because of the country's Nazi past. Like you grew up in this wartime with the Nazis that influenced him. And so suddenly the new press headlines were Hitler made me do it. So then the lawyer ruins it even more. He's like, no, 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 that's not what I said. What I said was that this is misunderstood love. You know, there's this movie called Misery. It's about a woman who smashes her lover's feet so that he can't literally run away. It's just that if someone is in love, there's always the danger to be disappointed. So Joseph thinks that without power, he can't keep anyone around. It actually shows his inner powerlessness. I've never seen my fiance so frustrated. (laughs) It's like this story, there's not even a second of me thinking, okay, I think I get it. Yeah. It just keep going. Yeah, going even after like he got arrested, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why. My brain was like, all right, he's just going to resign. Like he's going to hang his head. You're done. You're done, dude. Shut up. But he's like, nope, not going to be done. Now, Rosemary and Elizabeth, they have their own saga. The press ran it saying that um, Elizabeth threw Rosemary out of the hospital because one of the kids was calling Rosemary mom instead of Elizabeth. But that's not true. They were having fights because, I mean, wouldn't you be mad at your mom? Like, your mom's supposed to protect you. Your mom barely looked for you. Like, I would have resentment. I mean, yeah, I'm just think like, I don't think they can have regular conversation. Yeah. It's not a fact of let's talk it out. Let's right? solve the issue. This is like, I can't imagine. Like, yeah. 
So Rosemary, she moved into like a little apartment. She was penniless. Her reputation is gone. I mean, she wasn't arrested. She was never listed as suspect, but the public really did not like her. They were just like, there's no way you don't know anything. And even if you don't know anything, you should have done more. You should have looked for your kid more. If I were if I were you and my kid goes missing and says they ran away in a cult, I would I would track down that postage stamp. I would look for her. I would do everything. Now, Rosemary would was offered over a million dollars to do a tell all and she never once did it and elizabeth on the other hand she received um well immediately from the state so i don't know i'm sure i I really hope she's doing well now but elizabeth she received sixty thousand euros from the state she also received a twenty five thousand euro donation from natasha campush who like i said had just been who had just escaped her eight year long captivity two years prior and so she donated twenty five thousand dollars euros to um elizabeth and her children and elizabeth i mean this is how good of a person she was she never refused to let her kids see rosemary and these days in 2021 she's getting closer with her mom after everything so elizabeth and the children they were giving new identities but tabloids and newspapers are constantly trying to uncover it especially now with the new movie that came out girl in the basement a lot of um, tabloids are trying to get a picture of her i believe one of the i think it was like the daily mail got the first picture of her with her daughter like years later and it's just so nasty you would think that this is a slam dunk trial. I mean, Joseph confessed to it. You got the cellar. The police went into the cellar. I mean, come on. The cellar exists. The mm-hmm. children exist. The DNA matches that Joseph is the biological father. Like, come on. Well, there was struggles because in Austria, incest is only punishable by one year sentence. That's it. You can't give more than one year. Rape, you can only serve maximum a 15 year sentence, but you also can't have a cumulative sentence. So if you rape someone three times, nope, you only get to serve one of those rapes sentences they don't stack up on each other slavery so they charged him with slavery you get a maximum sentence of 20 years so if you total it all up that's like 36 years in prison and he being the absolute douchewad that he is the authorities were like yeah he's definitely gonna outlive that and then he's gonna be a free man and it's gonna be like what the fork right and austria and the whole world is looking at us like you better put this mother forker in jail for the rest of his life so they start looking for some loopholes and they finally settle on the murder of baby michael they believe that if he had taken michael to the hospital he would be alive so So this does not constitute as like, you know, an accidental death. This is straight up murder. So he was charged with rape, incest, false imprisonment, slavery, coercion, deprivation of liberty and the murder of baby Michael. And Joseph had the audacity to partially accept the rape charges because eventually Elizabeth went along with it for her own self-preservation. So technically it wasn't rape, he said. Because she did it to stay alive and to keep her children alive. So she didn't say no technically and he denied the murder charges i mean the community went into full-on insanity when the trial was happening i mean they did some really out-of-pocket stuff like the local bakery started selling um fritzel fritzel schnitzels fritzel schnitzels like a schnitzel but named after fritzel they also during the trial sold them what they called prison bar cakes near the courthouse so there was just a lot there was like plays about people being trapped in the cellar like live action plays it was just they did a lot of -of out-of-pocket stuff now the most dramatic moment in the courthouse started when the prosecutors brought in a box and they told the jury smell those 24 years and one by one each juror took the box and they looked inside they smelled it and we don't know the smell but by looking at the jurors i mean they were wrecked 
like they were emotionally wrecked because that is 24 years and that's just the smell that's like the last thing you care about when these things are happening to you and so the jury declared him guilty on all counts march 2009 he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 15 years what now nobody thinks he's gonna get out on parole but also we had the guy from austria jack untevega who like made a killing after and then became a serial killer so i don't really know how austria works i hope he doesn't get out i do know it's a beautiful country sorry i only talked about two crimes from there in prison joseph is a remarkably upbeat man is what everyone says he's writing his memoirs right now he calls his children nonstop, and the police are trying to make him stop but he won't stop yeah he like calls all of his kids still from prison and they're like no fork you we hate you in 2017 he changed his name because he got into a prison fight and several of his teeth were knocked out he has no remorse so when the police came to check up on him later after mm -hmm. the prison fight he joked around and said hey have you looked into the cellars of other people you might fight some other families and girls down there he just jokes about it disgusting and now elizabeth is trying to live her life with her kids after spending 8,516 days in captivity, she was officially released when she was 42 years old. Now she's in her 50s. I don't even know what to say. That was insane. My jaw is just on the floor the whole time. Yeah. Even after like this two hours, I feel so defeated. And the fact that she stayed through all of that to keep her children alive. Holy cow. <laughs> Let me know, what are your thoughts on this case? I know that we did like a full-on deep dive. What are your thoughts on these? Do you like deep dives or do you like simple summaries more? I kind of want to know. And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. And I'll see you guys this weekend for the mini-sode. Bye. <laughs>